Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Bit Beacon Broadcast. Uh, your hosts are myself, Taylor, also known as Kodax, and we've got... I'm Ravenheart, Rick for short. Um, and we're, we're here to uh, just talk about games and, you know, re- revive our long dormant website via a podcast. Yep. Um, if you've uh, ever visited the Bit Beacon, maybe if you were on uh, Go Nintendo, you might remember us. We used to go to a lot of events. Um, well, we still go to a lot of events. We just stopped writing about them. Yeah, we we still have the website. We've kept it alive. We just haven't updated it or done anything with it. I've been for... paying that six ninety nine every year for the past decade. It's been what eight years? And not since twenty fourteen. Yeah, that's that so almost a decade. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the Bit Beacon, you might be wondering what that is. It was just a, a, a website that we we founded back in two thousand eleven. Is that right? Uh, I think was it two thousand? No, you're right. Whenever right. you moved back, yeah, from it was two thousand eleven. Yeah. Um, and we we just wrote about events that we went to, uh, things that we saw, uh, you know, online, and just news articles, breaking news. You know, we we. We, we really thought maybe we could break into the, the gaming blog industry, but it, it proved to be more challenging than we anticipated. We still have a lot of really good memories from those days, though. Um, we, we went to a lot of events, a lot of launch parties, a lot of exclusive stuff. We met a lot of developers and really cool people from the games industry. Yeah, I, I remember doing, we'd bring back swag from like packs and things, and we would do giveaways, and you know, we had a, a small but loyal following. It was it was pretty awesome. I, I think uh, 2014 was a, a big year for both of us. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we both started new relationships, and you know, we, we, uh, we just got busy. And... Yeah, um, day jobs and other projects and stuff like that. Definitely. Um, so, uh, we're just going to start off by talking about, uh, what we're playing lately, what we're buying, and, and for myself personally, uh, I've been playing a lot of the new, uh, Pokemon DLC that just came out, uh, the Teal yeah. Mask, part one of Scarlet and Violet's, uh, DLC. That's all I'm playing is Scarlet, but I haven't gotten to the DLC yet, even though I have it. Because since the update, it seems like all the mass outbreaks are all new for me. And every time I turn it on, there's like three new mass outbreaks that I've never even seen in my game. Yeah, I've noticed that too. There seems to be way more mass outbreaks in the main region of uh, Paldea. Um, It used to be that there was like three or four outbreaks a day, and now it seems like there's like seven or eight, and I'm seeing like a much wider variety of outbreaks. And then on top of that, you have outbreaks in the new area of the DLC. I think it's uh, Kitakami, but I'm probably mispronouncing that. I think that's right. That sounds right. Yeah. But it's not just more outbreaks. It's outbreaks that, you know, you're used to seeing the same 15 cycle over and over. And now there's actually Pokemon I haven't... I haven't seen an outbreak for at all for the duration of the game, so I get stuck doing that, and by the time I do three outbreaks and get my shinies, there's just... I'm ready to stop playing. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you just gotta... You just gotta ignore the outbreaks for (laughs) once, and you just gotta... That's tough when there's something you know you need. Head to school and meet some new characters. So, in, in case you're wondering what we're talking about, an outbreak is when a particular Pokemon is featured heavily in a certain area, 
and there are special mechanics in the game in Scarlet and Violet that allow you to defeat so many of these Pokemon and at the same time increase your chances of encountering a shiny Pokemon up to a certain point. It's a mechanic that got started in Legends Arceus, but um, they carried it over into Scarlet and Violet and did it slightly differently. And it's... Shinies have not been this accessible at all for the entire history of Pokemon. Yeah, something you, you might learn about Rick and myself is that we're kind of uh, Pokefreaks. Yeah, and, just a bit. Um obsessed with capturing all the shiny Pokemon. I almost want to say I'm playing Pokemon Home in a way because <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm turning I'm turning black version on every now and again uh, because I need to I finished the Elite 4, but I need to get through the rest of the game so that I can transfer a bunch of stuff that I have stuck. Yeah. Before bank shuts down. Yeah, that that could be any day now. I mean, thankfully they made it still available after the 3DS eShop's closure, uh, but only if you downloaded it prior. And even then, you had to spend at least five dollars to gain access to the Poke Transporter function. Yeah. Um, that's right. If someone tried to, if never used it, but but tried to use Poke Transporter now, they would encounter an error, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. That. That. Yeah. That stinks. Also, it's free now. Like, yes. no subscription, so yeah. having bank is nice if you got in. Yep. Um, what what else am I... What, what are you playing? Aside from, Scarlet and oh, Violet. Scarlet and That's Violet? It. Okay, well, I, I'm still... I'm, I know you don't... I know you judge me a little bit for this, but I play Genshin Impact uh. every single day. <laughs> and uh, I know yep. people give me a funny face when they hear me say that, but I don't know, man. I... I love this game. I love its world. I love its characters. Um, I mean, it has its problems. Yes, it's a, a gotcha game, and yes, it's predatory. Um, yep. But I have never seen any game of this kind of scale and scope that Gen like that is Genshin Impact. Like the amount every six weeks there is a free update, and almost every single one of those updates adds like a significant like new area and like region to explore um you know there's there's the big region update that happens about once a year but within that year in between major regions they continue to add massive new like chunks of landmass or even underwater now to explore and it's just so polished um i i really have a good time with it i'm definitely addicted yeah. um it's got its hooks in me hard. Well, that's that's what that game is for. It's to get addicted to. Right. I mean, I, I think there are ways you can play the game and spend very little, or even not at all. Um, but I know not everybody has the... Uh, I don't want to claim I'm superior to anybody, but uh, I know some people are more susceptible to spending on those kinds of games. Spending money they don't have. And so I, I do think that's uh, that's concerning. And so, uh, I mean, I'm grateful for the players that do have a lot of money and do want to uh, fund the game for me effectively. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so, you know, thanks to those those people out there, but I just hope that they actually do have the money and they're, you know, they're not emptying their pockets. Do you feel at all like that game is at all designed, game design-wise, around gotcha mechanics and, and getting um, you to spend? There's definitely a FOMO aspect to it, um, where you're you're worried. Like the character, the new characters that get introduced, they're only around for three weeks, and then it may be a year before you have the opportunity to spend 
your your currency, whether you earned it for free through the game or whether you spent on it to get that character again. So if you're like a I have to have everything kind of person, yeah, you'll probably spend a lot of money on this game. Yeah. But if you're okay with saving your your currency, which they are, I don't want to say they're super generous with their premium currency that they give out in game, but you can earn quite a bit. Um, and you know, if you do save and you're patient, you can get like the characters you really do want. But if you want every single character, I don't think there's any other way to do it than to spend significant amounts of money. Yeah, so it's a bankruptcy trap for completionists. For sure, for yeah. sure. Yeah, you you have to be okay with not getting everything. <laughs> Although that yeah. being said, you can fully complete the game's continuous story just using the free characters that you get and the premium currency that you do earn in the game. You can get yourself, you know, the premium characters as well. Yeah, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> Yeah, knowing you, I don't, I don't think it would be right for you. You probably... I mean, well, you've been down the Fire Emblem Heroes trap before. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't fall too deep into that, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but I also love Fire Emblem as yeah. a franchise. That's Genshin Impact is kind of like a standalone. Yeah, it's definitely new. I mean, the, the company that creates the games, they're creating their own little game-verse. They have several games on the market now, and... A new one was just recently featured in the State of Play, which we'll get to later. Um, that's coming to PS5 pretty soon. Um, but I'm actually going to the Genshin Impact concert in Los Angeles in November, and I can't wait. The music in that game is, in my opinion, there's there's no better game no better game music out like right now for any ongoing game or any new game. I think it's unmatched. Sounds like the gotcha. No, dude, they they got maybe one of the best composers, Yu Peng Chen. You should look his stuff up. It's incredible. I'll have to play some stuff for you later. All right, yeah. Um, but uh, amazing, amazing music. It, like, it reminds me of... Uh, they don't make game music like it anymore. Now all game music is just, like, ambient noises. You know, like, Genshin Impact still has, like, music and melody mm -hmm. and... Um, I think I get what you mean. So I think certain publishers and certain developers do go out of their way a lot. I mean, even the new Zelda games, like... Uh, like yeah, that's true. They, like, I it, mean, the music is great, but there's very little of it, or it only plays during, like, very key scenes. But to me, Zelda has always been very closely entwined with music. Yeah, definitely, especially around, like, the Wind Waker yeah. and Twilight Princess I mean, and stuff. But since the origin, really. Uh, yeah, true. Uh, I um, mean, even though there wasn't very many tracks, I mean, still... If you To their, to their credit, though, if you scored every area of Breath of the Wild, they'd be spending like hundreds of thousands of dollars on music, and that soundtrack would be. That's what I love ridiculous. about Genshin Impact is they have hundreds and thousands of dollars to spend on their music. Yeah. That's what's great about Genshin Impact. They reinvest a huge chunk of that money they're making right back into their games, and it shows the production values are insane. That's uh, that's fine. I, I I won't judge you too hard. Um, so no, you haven't been buying, oh, you were saying you were buying some stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I will be, well, first on my list is Final Fantasy 16. I just haven't gotten around to getting it or starting it. Um, I kind of started the demo, but not really. And yeah, that's one thing that's eating, it's eating at my brain. I need to start Final Fantasy 16. 
The other one is Mortal Kombat 1. I have to get that soon, um, or I'm going to go crazy. And um, other than that, I'm waiting on uh, the Castlevania collection from uh, Limited Run. Yeah, I picked that one up too. Did you get uh, any of the any particular edition of that? Uh, just the one that was available at the time, which was just the base. Oh, okay. Edition. I mean, they had uh, I think they had the standard copy. They had like a classic edition that came in like a Game Boy Advance style box or something oh, yeah. like that. No, I I usually don't go for that. Oh, okay. Um, I'll go for like hardcore collectors editions that have soundtrack and art book but when they start getting into making you know flavorful boxes and you know super nes style just i'm not gonna have it all so why start i picked up the the edition that looks like you know the nes konami silver boxes that they used to do yeah yeah those like really nice lines and kind of like a silver foil with like the key art in the middle yeah limited run's been doing that for like every single konami release that they've been doing and they're pretty simple they come with the game usually a steel book a soundtrack and maybe a poster or something like that and i think it came with all of the alternate covers Mm -hmm. um that they um put out for the anniversary collection that's that's see that stuff is really cool uh, i just don't have the money to be yeah you know, i'd rather yeah. just have the games i yeah if you if you can only have one thing definitely the game is more important yeah um i do think uh maybe this is a topic for another day that some of these limited run not just limited run but uh other limited editions just come with so much superfluous stuff Mm-hmm. And I'm just like it's like an eraser, uh, yeah. You know a key, you know like a a keychain, a, a slinky. You know like uh, I, I just I don't really you know. It just seems like they're trying to find things and they're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what they can manufacture fast enough to include. Yeah, you basically just described why I don't go for that stuff anymore. Yeah. I think I in the when they first started doing stuff like that, I thought it was cool and new and probably bought a couple. But after that, I just fell off with that i'd rather buy more games yeah with that money than fewer games yeah. with a bunch of stuff yeah i i'm definitely in agreement with you i've had to scale back my purchasing habits for sure like i said i do occasionally spring for like the deluxe edition that's like maybe you know 10 15 20 dollars more mm-hmm. just because i do appreciate like if there's a little art book or right a, a soundtrack or even a steelbook i do enjoy steelbooks and we well we we can have a discussion yeah. about steelbooks and we should. We're getting uh, a lot of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll have to add that one to the data bank. Yep. Um, but you were talking about Final Fantasy sixteen. I yep. we both attended the Final Fantasy sixteen launch event, which was awesome. Back in God, was that May or June? Oh, I'd have to look it up. It was the one held in Los Angeles. Uh, it was the pre-launch event, I should say. Yes. It came out like two weeks it before. Was exactly two weeks before the game came out. Yeah, it was strange timing, but it was pretty damn cool. It was really awesome. The president, the CEO of Square Enix was there giving a speech on stage live. He didn't have to do that, but he was there from Japan. Yeah, and he was like super passionate. Yeah, just very passionate about like how Final Fantasy was a big part of his childhood, and he was like honored to be like leading the company now, responsible for it. Um, yeah. He's brand new as well. I think he just took over this role earlier this year. 
And I know Square Enix is kind of in a, I wouldn't say precarious situation, but they've definitely maybe been fumbling financially a little bit. They've had some flops and some just missteps, maybe. Yeah, um, they. I mean, like any company, I, I'm I'm all, I'm a big fanboy, obviously, of Square Enix. So I'm gonna, you know, fan for them for a second. But they, um, you know. I think like any publisher, they're looking at different ways that they can make a mark or, or get something started. Like, they just, um, not too long ago, they divested a bunch of money into um, blockchain technology and sold some of their IPs to do it. You know, I don't know whether, at this point, whether that was a good decision or not. Yeah. They haven't seemed, seemed to have not done anything with that just yet. Yeah. But that's how Square Enix, they're innovative. They'll take chances. They'll take risks. They'll invest in something that they see at the time and think is, you know, maybe a good idea down the road. Yeah. And, you know, so so they do make mistakes for sure, uh, but I think it comes from a place of just wanting to innovate and not stay static and doing the same thing and just that. Right. Well, speaking of Square Enix... Um, this brings up a topic that uh, I'm passionate about, and it's uh, physical and digital, physical versus digital. Yep. Um, you know, where where do you lie? Do you like to buy all your games digitally for the convenience? Are you a physical games collector? I mean, Rick and I, I think we yeah, definitely... This is going to be very biased, <laughs> like extremely biased. And I'll try to play devil's advocate a little bit and, you know, to stand up for the... The convenience people as much as I can, <laughs> um, but yeah, we're very much so physical uh, game collectors. Yes, um, you know I don't feel like I truly own the game personally. Yes, that's... And maybe that's just because we're older, um, and, unless it's in my hands, you know. Exactly, and also we see things like Google Stadia shutting down, and you bought a bunch of games for Google Stadia, and now they're gone. And you, it turns out you never owned them to begin with. Well, to be fair, Google Stadia did refund everybody who purchased anything on their platform. That's true, but that... that you Google know. can afford to do that. Not right. every company can, you know. That's... Ouya and... Uh, right. What was it? On Live? On Live. Yeah, that streaming was, games. That's... We're dating ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Online was very big back in like 2011, 2012. It was the future of gaming. And to some extent, maybe they really were the future they of gaming. They just spent all their money on PR and beach balls yeah. and, and all kinds of <laughs> other things. Giving away you know. free plastic boxes. Um, but uh, the, yeah, when it comes to, you know, consoles, games on consoles, digital games on consoles, I don't feel like you own it. I feel like that can be taken away. Um, you could be locked out of your console for what the console holder perceives as bad behavior or whatever, and you no longer have games that you believed you owned. That's 100% true. If you buy all your games digitally on Sony uh, PlayStation and your your PlayStation gets hacked and this person does something bad on your account, you know, they start spamming people bad messages or something, or your brother gets a hold of it and he starts cursing up a storm in Call of Duty... Um, you know, your account could be banned permanently, um, especially if you've had infractions before. You know, they're they have a pretty strict, you know, you know, we'll, for, we'll forgive you once, give you a temp ban or something, but multiple times you're out. 
and your all your purchases, they're all gone. They're You'll all be gone. Able to play anything. They can even go so far as to ban your console. Yeah. From playing the, any online games. Nintendo didn't Nintendo have breaking capabilities on something? I can't remember what I'm it was. sure they still do. Um I mean I don't know that they have a way to send like a, a smart bomb to your switch and like, you know, nuke it. Yeah, right. Um but they can definitely ban you from the e shop and from playing your digital titles. And that's all three of the major even Steam, mm-hmm. Epic, you know, you're buying a license when you play these games. You're not actually yes. buying the game. I think and, on, on PC it might be a little bit different when you actually download the title. Sure. You might lose your Steam account, but if you have the the title on your desktop, maybe not Steam because that is through a player, but itch.io. Yeah, you know. if you if you don't have to use the launcher to launch the game, then you could probably access it. But if it does some kind of server check with Steam right. servers, then you you might be out of luck. Exactly. Now, not to say that we're a bunch of internet miscreants and we're going around, you know, <laughs> saying horrible things <laughs> right. online and getting our accounts banned. I mean, that t- I I do have some digital games for sure. You know, sometimes you don't have a choice, yeah, some, or sometimes something's on sale. It's not released physical, then you have to play, play digitally, yeah. which really stinks when you're in that situation. Sometimes there are ways around that, um, and we'll, we'll get there. Uh, uh, but um, the other thing I was going to mention, uh, the other like pro and con type bullet point here is... Game developers and famous people and voice actors, etc., artists, character designers, game designers, etc., cannot autograph your digital file on your console. But if you have the game physical, you know, they you can do stuff like that. And that's a, something we're very passionate about. We love going to these events. We love meeting who, in our eyes, are celebrities and heroes and getting them their autographs on our games. And, uh, you know, wouldn't be able to do that when everything's digital. Yeah. I mean, I can't count the number of times I've had to scramble to to buy a game, find a game real quick when some event is all of a sudden announced and they say who's going to be there and it's like, crap, I don't have anything yep. in my collection and I got to go out and get it. And, I mean, that might sound not fun. Right. But for me, it's fun. I, I love hunting for for video games. Thankfully, we live in an area where we have a lot of options uh, right. for stuff like that. I know some people do live in maybe more rural locations where physical games are harder to come by. they got to drive two hours to get to their Walmart or their Target. And so it just makes more sense to to download uh, the game from home. Also, too, like the, the uh, so, um, this is probably going to only resonate with older gamers, but the association video games have with yard sales and garage sales and swap meets that's going to be dead when everything's digital. Like, you won't be able to go treasure hunting anymore. Right. Everything's going to be the same price for a limited amount of time before it's gone forever. Yeah. And that's uh, that's scary. There are some trends that do make me hopeful that physical won't ever be totally eradicated. And that's stuff like vinyl music sales. Right. Vinyl is now the number one format for purchasing physical music. That's true. Above CD, uh, above cassette. I've seen some, I don't know if they're record labels or the band or what, but I've seen some come out with 8-track copies, like versions of their their albums. Um, 
what's old is new again. Exactly. And, you know, I think there's a little bit of a, a digital revolt. You know, people, people I, I miss, hope so. miss the analog days a I, little bit. I hope that's true. I, I think with the resurgence of retro games and, you know, maybe the bubble in retro game prices and stuff had a silver lining a little bit because it made that stuff it put it in the uh, you know cult, the cultural zeitgeist again yeah. you know in a way and uh, because of that maybe it'll physical will live a little bit longer um, but you're right about vinyl and stuff like that I think that I hope that there's a revolt against the whole digital revolution I hope that maybe even if it's just one console holder that comes along and stays physical and the others go digital that would be better than nothing um well speaking of console holders last week microsoft uploaded a bunch of documents to a website that was public facing that they shouldn't have Mm -hmm. and it revealed their plans for a mid-gen refresh of the xbox series x uh code name or internal name i should say brooklyn it is a Series X. It's got a cylindrical appearance, and it does not have a disk drive whatsoever, um, which means if they're eliminating the original Xbox Series X, mm-hmm. then that means the only two consoles on the market are the new Xbox Series X and the Xbox Series S, and both of them do not have a disk drive. Right. Um, so my thoughts on this are that twofold first of all we know that the console holders want to go digital there's no question they've stated it they've made it known they you know they're they're saying it with their own products um and the other thing is these are these are plans you know plans change um but yeah it's it's very obvious that their intention is to go digital yeah, Xbox, according to the documents, was targeting a 2025, I think late 2025, launch for this new Series X. Now, they may see a lot of feedback now thanks to this accidental upload um, where they could um, maybe take that into consideration and maybe see that people aren't happy about that. Now, I will say, out of the three console holders, um, Xbox is the most likely to go all digital. Yes, with Game Pass, which is what they want every single person with an Xbox to subscribe to, right. you can download dozens and dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds, if not over a thousand games on demand now, right? And uh, play them at your leisure for I don't know what the price is now, but it's less than twenty dollars a month, I believe. Um, and that is, uh, I mean, it's a tempting offer to be sure. Oh, definitely. Personally, I would get like choice paralysis from something like that. In a way, it's kind of silly not to, you know, in in a way, unless you're trying to revolt against digital or something by boycotting it, it would not make sense to not get that. Right. What better way than to force you into game pass than to not give you an option to buy you could say well here's this 60 dollar game you can buy on the digital storefront or you could pay 15.99 right now and play it for free 
essentially. Right. Um, and then, but you know, they want that, that charge to go from now until the time you're dead until after you're dead. And then your credit card finally expires or it right. gets canceled. Right. They, they, um, that's where, that's, that's where they're thinking. That's their long, that's their long game. Now for some people, that's great. Game Pass is exactly, maybe you game on a budget. Maybe you can only afford 20 bucks a month to play games. Mm-hmm. And if that's your case, that's a great freaking deal, man. Especially if you're heavily invested into the Microsoft ecosystem, you enjoy the kinds of games that they publish. Um, I can't fault anybody for subscribing to that. Um, I would just hate to see Xbox push out, you know, uh, the reason I bought a Series X, which is my first Xbox since the original Xbox, was because it had a disk drive and because there's backwards compatibility with a lot of games. And I've missed out on multiple generations of xboxes so i'm excited to go back through their history of like quality titles you know most of like the really good xbox right. games are backwards compatible there are some exceptions i'm um, really surprised they did that to be honest with you that's a very pro physical move you it know? is like you can literally just insert your old xbox disc or xbox 360 disc right. and it'll download like uh a like an upscaled nicer version of the classic game. That's that's awesome. And so it's so weird to see them now all of a sudden make this one eighty. Get rid of it. It's like they can't make up their mind. Um, I know this is off topic from the physical versus digital thing, but I didn't I didn't actually see the Xbox leak. Did you see if uh, there was anything about specs for that system? Um, it's. It's just a, I think, it's an Xbox Series X, same exact price, um, made to be more compact, more energy efficient. Not, uh, not like heavier. It's not beefier. It's okay. not like a Project Scorpio. Okay. Um, all over again. So that's different from what Sony is rumored to be doing. They'll be introducing like a, a PS5 Pro. Um, but I mean, that's all hearsay until right. either it leaks or, you know, they announce it. Right. And, and that probably... I don't even know if it would be next year. It, I do think this gen is going to be really long. Yeah. I think it's going to be really I long. I think so. Um, they uh, The PS5 in particular has a long way to go with lifespan. Yeah. there's There hasn't been any... You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, I feel like we're just now starting to get to, like, exclusive next-gen or current-gen games. Now. Right, you exactly. Know, I still want to say next-gen because publishers are having a really hard time giving up PS4... And Xbox. It's easy to develop for. Yeah. You know. Like they've already been developing for and it. We, it already has a hundred million people that own one. You the know? tools are out, yeah. It's already installed yeah. in, into the gaming population. Um it, and then you know, you have the Nintendo Switch, which is using very dated internals. Mm-hmm. Um, the, yeah. The, and so if people are developing cross gen games, you know, they're doing a Switch version, a PS4 version. You know, right. There's so many SKUs to develop for right now. It's a lot. And then if yeah. you release on PC, you have so many options there with different ways to go. You can, most go to Steam, but some also release on other launchers, Discord and Humble, and right. you know, in the case of indies. That, that's a good point. I mean, if, if you're a PC gamer, you have very little choice but to buy digital. Yes, and, um, but if you're a PC gamer, you probably are pro digital, right? Definitely. Um, and I, I definitely 
you know, installing a game from... P- I mean, I remember installing World of Warcraft. It came with, like, ten freaking discs right. that I had to put in one at a time. Yep. And it, it was it was pretty painful. It was inconvenient, but looking back, it was awesome. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll never forget, like, there's all these little, like, while it's installing, all these little, like, lore bits are being displayed on the screen. Right. Just the anticipation. It's got, like, background music playing while you're installing And, and it. again, though, you own the game. That's the point. You own it. You can hold it. You can feel yeah. it. You can I mean, smell it's it. Less important with an MMO, which... Right. You know, even you sure you could install WoW from the disc today, but then you'd be prompted to download how yeah, many yes, gigs of updates. I mean, yeah, but you could say, you know, I own all the files, I own the textures, I own the models, yeah. they're all here. Yeah. You know, it's I I don't know. Maybe that I'm sure that doesn't have a practical use, but knowing that you have that yeah. it's is nice. Yeah, limited run, they still do big box PC releases, which I think is cool for that is cool. those old school PC gaming fans. The the companies that are similar to limited run but smaller, they do a lot of PC. Okay. Because I think it's because PC is the cheapest to actually manufacture for. Right, cuz they can manufacture they can manufacture it in house if they wanted to. Right. They don't need um signature you know, edition and all stuff those stuff off to Sony's factories or you know Microsoft's factories. Right. Um so I had mentioned Square Enix earlier and I want to talk about Capcom. They both have two games that they that are coming out in the next few months. Uh one really soon. Square Enix has the new Dragon Quest Adventure of Die game based on the manga and anime from I think the 90s and um, there's only a digital release here in the west now there are options uh, to pick up physical copies from websites like Play Asia or Video Games Plus um, and there's like an Asia English version as well as like a Japanese version which has English on cart and then you have Capcom who just uh, announced uh, the Ace Attorney 456 collection Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, even though the last Ace Attorney collection released in English in North America, in Western territories, right. um, in a physical format, sold very well and still holds its price very well, they're doing it digital only. I guess because Ace Attorney 123 collection didn't get a physical release in the U.S., right. so maybe that's their thinking. But, I mean, it's free money, guys. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, because yeah, I... I'm not buying the eShop version. I'm going to be importing a physical copy yes, we'll, from... Yes, we'll, physical people will go out of their way to import from another country a game. Not only that, in some cases, purchase a console that can play them. A separate console, a Japanese console. Because that's how passionate we are about actually owning the physical thing. Um, in the case of Ace Attorney, this isn't, like you already said, this isn't the first time that franchise has done that. Um, I think there were three titles, or am I wrong? Oh yeah, a bunch of the 3DS Ace Attorney games, right. I think 4, 5, and 6, were only digital releases. Right. Um, which I remember, I can't remember where we were, I think it was Anime Expo one year, and Capcom was there, and they had, uh, I think it was Ace Attorney 5, was like playable and I remember they were giving out like some little physical goodies for playing the demo, but you know, no physical game, which is like, right? I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I never got it, and I get it. They were worried. They don't want to invest in something that they think is a niche series that only a handful of people 
and then they expect us to be grateful that it got localized in English and released here at all. Right. Um, um, if you think about it, 1, 2, and 3 were on Game Boy Advance in Japan, and they didn't release on Game, Game Boy Advance at all here, but they did put them on DS later. So, in a way, it started as a J Japanese exclusive franchise. True. So, I'm not too surprised that there are installments that are Japan only. In a way, I can almost say at least we're getting a digital. Right. You know. I mean, yeah, it is better than nothing. Right. I mean, I'm not going to like... I mean, if I'm a Mega Ace Attorney fan, I probably am just grateful that it's, it's releasing in the States at all. Uh, because there are some Ace Attorney games... That never released in English, like actual canonical entries, not just the Game Boy Advance versions right. of one, two, and three. That's true. There was a DS game. I can't remember. I, I think, think that's the only one that that's yeah. true about. But yeah, I, I know which one you're talking. Um, about. I mean, sure, there's fan translations out there, but it's right. just not the same as you know playing the the real thing and right the official translation. Yeah, I, I think that's um, that's too bad. And this brings up another thing I want to talk about. Um, so we've got two things that kind of happen sometimes where a game will be released physically but it's essentially just like a demo disc and you have to download like 100 gigs of data um, or uh, the cartridge you, like you can't even start the game without first downloading right. an update so it's like why did you release a cartridge at all I know Mortal Kombat 1 um, actually that one might be playable just on the base cartridge but, uh, I think 11 was that way. Oh, okay. Um, I know uh, Jedi Survivor, the new Star Wars game from Respawn and EA. Um, the PS5, the PS4 version, they launched, you know, on like PS5 has like dual layer Blu-ray discs it can read. There's no reason they could not have put the whole game on that, right. it's, that disc. It's not that they can't put the whole game on the disc, it's that they... They don't. They either don't have it done and are going to finish it later, or I, I don't even know if that's true because the updates are usually available the next day after launch. Well, yeah, so. I know in Jedi Survivor's case, the game had, was shipped on probably, I think a lot of times they do it, A, because the, the game isn't finished yet, so they just put this little base thing out there that'll trigger the installation of the game digitally, right? or... They don't want to spend on the dual layer disc, the extra five cents or whatever it costs. So, in order to save money, they just ship it on you know the lowest uh, disc they can they can buy from Sony or whoever. Now that I think about it, sorry to interrupt. No, um, is uh, it takes several months from the time you submit the game to the console holder. Um, to go through manufacturing and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I can see now that they might want those extra few months for development. Right. And they'll just put a launcher and send yeah. that to the publisher. I mean, I feel like it's a risky move, though, because you're basically taking a bet, hey, we're going to manufacture this game before we've actually finished development. Right. And it's hitting shelves on this day, so we have to do whatever we can to push this out. And in Jedi Survivor's case... It was a rough launch for them. Right. They had a lot of problems, a lot of bugs, and until very recently, for some people, the game was completely unplayable on PS5 and Xbox. Um, they they had to uh, release a patch that was like four months in the making or something like that, right? Uh, just to get like some game breaking bugs for some people fixed. 
Um, and that's kind of crazy that now, and it's affected the way I play games. Like I, for a lot of big AAA games, I'll just wait a year. By then, they'll have all the bugs ironed out. Right. By then, the complete version will. Be and out. you'll be pro- buying it cheaper, more than likely. It, it definitely cheaper. Um, I mean, a lot of these games you can get for twenty, thirty dollars a year later. I've um, always naturally been that way because I've yeah. never been somebody who has to have it, except for very certain. Games. Yeah, I was gonna say there are some games yeah. that I do want to be there on day one, but I know some people. I see them online where it's like they have to be a part of the conversation. For every right. major AAA game that yes. comes out. And I don't know how they do it. I don't either. There was a time in my life where I was kind of like that too. Like, some things I just really wanted to play immediately. I wanted to discuss them online with people. I mean, here we are talking about games on a podcast. Right. Um, so, I mean, clearly we're we're into that too. But, yeah, I just... I don't know how people play everything. Like, uh, you know, they, they want to be a part of the conversation I think there's just a FOMO aspect to it. Like, they just, you know, if Mortal Kombat 1 has been out for a whole day and they don't have it, they they need to get it. Yeah. I remember when the, the third Dragon Age game, Dragon Age Inquisition, came out, I ordered this, like, ridiculous collector's edition. I don't know why I ordered it. But um, it, I don't think I got it on day one that the game launched. I think it came on day two, and I just remember, like, spending the whole day at home doing absolutely nothing waiting for the damn game to come out right and like waiting for the delivery person to come by i remember this yeah oh yeah you may have been living with me at the time <laughs> yeah right um and yeah i just spent the whole entire day waiting and the, the guy didn't show up till like three and then when he gives it to me you know i'm like ready to tear into it and it was had a great time at the game but, um, yeah, I, I think for some people, spoilers can be a big mm-hmm. problem, especially if they're very online. Right. You know, they're worried about, you know, some major plot point or thread of the game getting ruined for them. You know, so many games seem to be having these very shock twists in them. Right. Um, and these moments, yeah, they can be ruined for you. Oh, definitely. I think YouTube does that a lot. Oh, God. YouTube thumbnails. Jesus Yeah, oh, just the thumbnail will show the whole spoiler. <laughs> oh, this character's face got blown off. Right. You know? It's like, awesome. Thank you, YouTube. Yeah, and and you don't you didn't even click on the video. You're just scrolling yeah, through. You're yeah, you're just scrolling. Uh, and I know I've I'm guilty of this. I've definitely spoiled things for you, and I, I right. feel bad about uh, them. I yeah. know I've spoiled some Danganronpa twists very, for you before. Yeah, some very specific examples um, come to it's mind. Just, it's just hard when I played the game a year ago, and you're just now playing the game, and then it's like I'm trying to remember like where you're at in the story and what's happened and what hasn't right. happened, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember when this happened. Right. And you're like, what? What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget that. Yeah. Um, but you, you wanted to talk about um, physical games being sold with yes. a... Um, a download code as a physical game. Right, a, so the it, box is empty aside right. from a little sheet of you paper. You get a plastic case with a sleeve, which, good. But then inside is a disc-shaped piece of cardboard with a code printed on it to download the game. Right. This is not a physical game, in my opinion. It's a physical thing. It's a physical object, mm-hmm. but uh, it's not a you know it's not a physical game. Um, I, that's my opinion, obviously. 
But uh, I see this happening a lot, and a lot more. I've even seen collector's editions that have, like, a metal plate or something with the code stamped on it and that kind of thing, which is kind of kind of neat. Yeah, I think Starfield did that recently. Right. Um, but uh, that's still... Like, if I'm getting a collector's edition, I better get the disc. And more often than not lately... It either doesn't include the game at all if you buy the collector's edition, or you do just get a little piece of paper with right. the code printed on it. That's just insane to me. I think the first time this happened to me was during the PS3 era. There was a DuckTales game made by Way Forward, and they oh, did yeah. a physical release for it. And I remember I had it pre-ordered at the GameStop just down the street from here. And I went in to pick it up, and I opened it up, and... There was no disc. There was literally a piece of paper in the disc slot. There was a cool little DuckTales Scrooge McDuck pin attached mm-hmm. to the the paper, but the uh, it was just a code. You're right. And on one hand, I guess I'd rather have that than have absolutely nothing at all. Like, if I'm going right. to buy digital games, I would love to go into every store and buy a code in the box if it's not getting a proper retail release. Right. Um, now, what's funny is that DuckTales eventually did get a proper oh, physical yeah, release, stinks. and that that really irked me, because I was like, well, I bought it physically That's once, freaking now you want horrible. me to buy it again? That is horrible. That wouldn't be the first time I bought a game digitally and then physically right. before, so, and it won't be the last, That's for no, sure. No, I think I've done that too. Um, for me, mostly, I bought it and then not realizing that I would later get the physical person. I don't know. I lim- Oh yeah, I know what it was. I bought a digital and then limited run, you know, had sold this game a long time ago and I just figured I'm not ever going to get a copy of it. Okay. And then I find a copy of Book Off. Uh, yeah, that's happened a couple times. Yeah, I mean, all now it's like whenever there's a really cool like indie digital game that I want to play, I know if I'm just patient enough if I wait three months, four months, five months, six months, a year, yeah. there will be a physical copy eventually. Right. Like, we have enough of these little companies making the physical copies yeah. that I think it's just... If the game is not literally just some person's two-minute project, it can easily get a physical copy. Yeah. Especially if it like reviews really well. They These developers will have all these little small physical publishers knocking on their door like that. Right. Um, you know, it's it's a totally different game now um, than it used to be, where it was like indie developers would have to go to them and, like, beg, please publish my game. You know, now I think it's for sure the other way around. You have these... Mm-hmm. There's so many of these little publishers, and, and there's not enough games to fill up in their release schedules that, you know, anytime some new game get announced that a... Nintendo Direct or State of Play, there's people knocking on these these indies doors yeah, real quick. Right, oh yeah. Speaking of physical games, we just got some signed recently. Uh, yeah, we were just at the Last of Us 10th anniversary event in Alhambra at Nucleus Gallery or Gallery Nucleus. Yep. Um, and there was a two-day event. Rick and I went on Saturday... And then I went by myself on Sunday. Uh, the first day of the event was the opening reception, you could say. Um, it was specifically 
to celebrate the 10th anniversary of The Last of Us, the first game, and you know, not excluding the second game. Right. And they had... That uh, was all for devs, right? Um, what do you mean? The first night. Oh, well, Friday night... Oh, okay. ...was uh, at, at Gallery Nucleus was an exclusive, like, dev event, but the the first public event was Saturday, which is the day that we went. That's right. Um, and they commissioned... Gallery Nucleus and Naughty Dog commissioned a bunch of uh, artists to produce original pieces inspired by the first Last of Us game. And they had prints, original art... Uh, postcards, um, all kinds of little goodies, a tote bag. Um, you can find all of this on their website, uh, Gallery Nucleus. Um, many of the, many of, well, most of the prints are gone now, but I think some of the, the smaller merchandise items like the postcard set, which features, I think, four or five pieces of the art, is still available to grab. Um, and I think they actually just put up some brand new art today because today is Outbreak Day, which is the day that, uh, the in-game day that the the virus, the, oh, right. the Cordyceps virus, broke out. So uh, yeah, we just happened to be recording on uh, what is today, September twenty sixth, twenty twenty three. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, um, and so Gallery Nucleus just put up a few new pieces as part of uh, the day celebration. Um, but the main reason why we went was the signing. You want to talk about that? Uh, sure. Um, it was the game designer, Last of Us, uh, Mark. I forgot his last name. Remember, <laughs> uh, and three other guys. Uh, one of them was the character artist. Uh, I don't, I don't remember the other. We'll we'll pull it up right now. But um, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, there were a lot of people in line, um, but it was a pretty limited event, so you had to get a ticket. Tickets sold out very fast, um, and so we we just don't have. Um, you know, it, it, they just didn't have that many people. Um, but for a signing, it was still quite a bit. There's four people, yeah. I mean, they were all, like, senior developers. I actually have their names. Rick, if you want to riff for a second, I can pull those up. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the event was awesome. Uh, when we got there on Saturday, the artwork, like the actual paintings, the original paintings, not the prints, uh, were already sold out. And supposedly, I guess... Most of the devs uh, on their pre-party um, on Friday night were had access to buying them. So yeah, a lot the of the original art was already gone. Okay, so I've got the four names of the people who were there on Saturday. We had Andre Rodriguez, Frank Zeng, Hyung Nam, and so Andre was an environment or is an environmental artist at Naughty Dog. Frank is a lead character artist, and Hyung is the concept artist. And then there was one other person. I've got their name right here. We had Mark Davies, game designer. Yes. Yep. Um, and so these were all people who worked on the original game. Um, and uh, it was it was pretty cool. I won't lie, there was some disappointment in the crowd, being that it was the the opening night reception of the event. Uh, Neil Druckmann wasn't, wasn't there. Wasn't there. Wasn't there, but he was there the next day. <laughs> yeah, he showed up on Sunday rather than Saturday for some reason. <laughs> um, so I fortunately had tickets for both days, uh, whereas Ravenheart here uh, only had the Saturday ticket. So I did go back on Sunday. It was 
of a little bit much to go back and make the trek all the way all over again. But they did have four brand new people on oh. Sunday. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Another thing that was really cool about this event was the upstairs at Gallery Nucleus. Oh, yeah. They had this whole scene set up, like hand, like arts and craft, um, built out of uh, one of the tents or something from the yeah, game. Yeah, it, it looked like uh, almost like a, a life-size diorama that you could walk through. Right. There were like crumpled leaves on the ground, and there and were letters from people that were handwritten on paper, laying yeah, on the ground, and like as if they were written by the characters in the game. Radios and stuff yeah. that were making noise. comic books. Yeah. Um, Savage Starlight, I think, is the comic book that Ellie liked to read in the first game, and oh. then you could find all the issues throughout the game. It was almost sort of like a mini movie set. They didn't really decorate the walls too much. They just put artwork on the walls. Yeah, but... the artwork had a bunch of concept art from the first game right. printed out. That's right. Um, I overheard someone say that some of that concept art had never been seen before. Seen before. Oh, that's cool. Um, but it was really dark inside. Right. It was kind of hard to get a picture. They had a guy working there who was in like cosplay mm-hmm. who was like acting as like a flashlight for yeah, the stairs. He, yeah, he was like in character kind of. Yep. Um, he looked very menacing. Yeah, he, he was was obviously playing like an enemy or something definitely um but it was a fun event i definitely had more fun on the second day right i bet and i'm bummed you weren't there because not only were the four devs that were featured there Mm -hmm. there was like almost a dozen other devs showed up just to hang out oh dude that was the day we were supposed to go yeah oh now i'm really Oh. So yeah, my steel books are covered in signatures. Damn, oh dude. Oh. Yeah. One thing that was really disappointing to me, um, and a bunch of those devs were actually former devs. Right. Um, yeah, the alumni. Yeah, all showed up on alumni. Sunday with with yeah. Neil Druckmann, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, but there were a couple of devs who were there, including uh, I might be saying her name wrong. I think it's Hallie Gross who was the co-writer with Neil on The Last of Us 2, she was there. Uh, Unfortunately, she would not sign anything uh, because I guess her boss, who was like uh, Neil's kind of partner in running the studio, because Neil's president of Naughty Dog now, um, had told explicitly told anybody not doing the signing not to sign anything. Oh, wow. So she was like, let me go check. And she came back and she's like, no, sorry, I Uh. can't. That stinks. Yeah, and I had a perfect spot on my Last of Us 2 steelbook for, for her. her. You should have uh, just staked oh, her I out. I tried. I tried. I was like, hey, what if we st- like, what if we go outside? You know, what if we don't say anything, you know? Yeah. Just like, no, I'm sorry. They, at one point, after the initial signing, they closed down the gallery and let uh, all the guests from Naughty Dog walk around and buy stuff mm-hmm. and take in the upstairs area and everything cool and then when they reopened they were all gone oh yeah so you know for us for rick and i our expectations for this event were skewed because almost a decade earlier we attended naughty dog's 30th anniversary event at right. gallery new the, the the anniversary for the company yeah. this was the anniversary for last of us right and the 30th anniversary event at Gallery Nucleus was maybe one of the most incredible nights. Oh, it was amazing. I, I, there hasn't been one like it. No. there's been. I mean, there must we, have we've been... We've had unique events, but this yeah. one was... 
It was special. Crazy. And I mean, I mean that sincerely. Like, truly special. There was at least... 50 to 75 people from Naughty Dog there almost the whole night. Right. I mean, w- there were people who worked on Crash Bandicoot, people who worked on Jack and Daxter, yep. people who worked on Uncharted, people who worked on Last of Us. I mean, every aspect of Naughty Dog's uh, 30 years thus far uh, was represented there. I mean, and they would they would sign everything. We had one of the original Crash Bandicoot artists doing like sketches on our art books. Right. Um, I they, mean, they had sign autographs, signings at tables in the beginning, but by the end of the night, they were all just walking around, just walking around the show floor, and you just walked up to any of one of them with your stuff, and they sign it. It was incredible. Yeah, it was a, a night unlike any other, and I think we were anticipating. A, a similar event right and we got our hopes up really <laughs> really high it, it didn't hold a candle to no no that that event was one of a kind that'll yeah, probably never happen. it'll never happen again no i don't think so i mean next year's their 40th anniversary right. we'll see uh, i hope they do something um but uh yeah i anticipate it'll be probably a lot like what this last of us event was which was still really nice mm-hmm. i'm not complaining I'm grateful that they they did something for the fans, even if it was only limited to like a hundred or a hundred fifty people each of the two signing days. Right. Um, we, we got to go, and I'm grateful. But yeah, I mean, it just makes me appreciate that 30th anniversary event even more, uh, knowing what we know now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. All right, we're going to take a quick little break. I'm going to pause the broadcast, and we'll resume in a moment. Thank you. All right, everyone, we're back from our little break. Um, And now we're going to talk uh, Hideki Kamiya leaving Platinum Games. Yes, it's kind of unfortunate. He was one of the founders of Platinum Games back in 2006. Um, You know... He originally worked at Capcom, worked on titles, created titles like Devil May Cry. He directed yeah. Resident Evil 2. He was part of the legendary Clover team. Yep. So, he, yeah, he did Okami, Beautiful Joe. Uh, I mean, just classic after classic after yeah. classic after classic. Um, then left, formed Platinum Games with a bunch of former Clover people. Yep. They created Bayonetta, which ended up being... a. A smash hit for you know a sort of a niche audience for sure, but uh, one of the defining action games of the PS3, Xbox 360 generation for sure. Definitely. Um, um, but he's leaving Platinum Games effectively a couple of weeks from now, right? Yeah, uh, October second, I believe, is when he actually officially leaves. The second? That's I thought it I... was. A, a oh, the twelfth. It was the twelfth. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, I thought it was a couple weeks in. Um. And uh, you know that that's got to make you wonder what's what's going on at Platinum Games. Why is he leaving now? If you look at Platinum Games' output over the last couple of years, there's not been a whole lot. I mean, they've had Bayonetta three. Mm-hmm. Um, they had uh, Astral Chain for Nintendo Switch, that's which right. is actually a really great game. Yeah. Highly recommend it. They only make great games. Um, they did make that game with Square Enix recently, Babylon's. Fall, I think it's called, which mm-hmm. was like a live service game, which was discontinued in like a year. Oh. Um, so that was kind of a big dud. I mean, it was contracted work, so I don't think it really affected their pay so much, but they were probably counting on it to be a source of revenue for years to come. But it's interesting that you mention uh, contracting work, because he, uh, 
he they did um Star Fox Zero actually. That's right. They actually have a pretty good relationship with Nintendo. Right. Um he had actually been pitching Star Fox to Nintendo for like two years prior to right. Star Fox Zero and they kept telling him no. I mean it's unfortunate that Star Fox Zero came out on the Wii U. Right. And that it like required motion control. Right. Which made it unpopular. For a lot of people. Yeah, that's true. Um, and again, it was a retread of the original Star Fox story over again. Looked amazing, though. Well, you got to play that at E3. I, I did, yeah. I played the demo at E3. Did you play the demo where you were, like, sitting yep. in the R-Wing? I was inside the R-Wing little <laughs> demo. The wait for that was so... It, it was my whole day yeah. standing in line for that. I kind of regret that I didn't do it because I know they gave some pretty sweet swag. It was it. that one enamel pin. It was like pewter. Yeah. And it was the R-Wing. Yeah. And yeah, I still have it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, another thing they did, Star Fox Guard on Wii U that followed up. It was like a tie-in well, spin-off. Well, they kind of. packaged them together oh, as a bundle. Right. Oh, that's and right. It was interesting. They released both games physically, so you got two sets of like two cases of discs in like a box mm. I mean you can still find that set online for $20 brand new seal that game bombed hard unfortunately. oh yeah right I picked up Star Fox Guard at Book Off for four ninety nine. yeah so I mean like I said it was bundled at the game you know and Guard uh uh, it's like a puzzle game more than anything, I right. think. It's a, yeah, it's a total spin-off, but it's supposed to tie into Star Fox Zero. Right. Um, and now, now I, I gotta wonder, why why is he leaving? Is it because Platinum's in trouble? Is it because he got an offer to go do something else? Is it because maybe he's been in too much of a supervisory role the last decade or so? Maybe he wants to get his hands dirty making a game again? Yeah, that's true about him. His last several titles at Platinum including Bayonetta 3 uh, were all supervisory I don't even know if he really had his hands in development very much at all I think Bayonetta 3 he was like maybe responsible for the story or uh, he wrote the story for 2 he wrote the story for 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 2 I think maybe he was just sort of like like a creative consultant right. director or something he he right. had a he has a strange title for Bayonetta 3 I can't remember what it is off the top of it's my head it's something like that but uh, there's been a trend lately in Japan um, this happened not just last year the the creator of Super Monkey Ball and the Yakuza series uh, Nagoshi I think his name is left Sega uh, he left Sega because I think it was Tencent Mm. offered him big money to start a brand new studio and so I've seen a lot of speculation already that this is Kamiya got a similar offer right? and that's what's happening and this it won't be too long before we hear about Kamiya's new studio right? I, for sure he's not leaving the industry or going or doing anything like that he's uh, like the guy has only made great games. I have the statement from Platinum Games right here that they posted on X, formerly known as Twitter. Right. Um, we regret to announce that Hideki Kamiya will be leaving Platinum Games on October 12, 2023. We are truly grateful for his creative ideas, leadership, and contribution to the growth of Platinum Games from our startup to this very day. We believe that he will continue to succeed in his future endeavors as a game creator. We are looking forward to seeing the game industry grow into a better place with him in it. 
we wish him all the best for the future. And then he posted, also on X, formerly known as Twitter, uh, as announced on Platinum Games' X account, I will be leaving Platinum Games on October 12, 2023. This came after a lot of consideration based on my own beliefs and was by no means an easy decision to make. However, I feel this outcome is for the best. I will continue to create in my Hideki Kamiya way. I hope you'll keep your eyes peeled. And that's it. That's... He, uh, it's interesting that he posted that in English because he has a reputation for banning people <laughs> if they don't post in Japanese on his page. Yes, he he doesn't. He takes no prisoners. No, he doesn't. He, he, he bans you from his account and he calls you an insect. You know when um, when uh, was a Kickstarter um, for oh yeah the wonderful, wonderful one hundred and one yeah. Uh, yeah, they had that as a stretch goal, get banned by him. Yeah. Um, which is funny and interesting. Uh, I've actually met Kamiya in real life. I, I I saw, I think it was the Game Awards in 2018. A day or two before, he posted on Twitter, now known as X, mm -hmm. that he was going to be attending. And he posted a picture of like his airplane or something and said, I'm boarding my flight for the Game Awards. You know, I got to use the translate feature on Twitter to understand what he's talking about, but I was like, oh crap, he's going to be at the Game Awards, so I packed my copy of Bayonetta and Okami, just in case I bumped into him, and sure enough, I get into my seat and three rows ahead of me, and I'm not in like a primo seat or anything, I'm like off to the side kind of, I mean, it's not a bad seat, but I'm not center or anything like that, right. and Kamiya and uh, I can't remember his name. I think it's Atushi Anaba. He was... They were sitting right there in front of me. Yeah. And so I work up a little bit of courage, walk over there, and uh, I asked him to sign both my games. And Inaba worked on Okami as well, so he signed my copy of Okami. And uh, it was great. You know, I wasn't sure what to expect because I know he's uh, playful with his fans, to say the least, on Twitter. Um but no, he, he was really appreciative. He, like, insisted on shaking my hand. I didn't even put my hand out for a handshake, but he wanted to shake it. Um, he was really, really pleasant. And so uh, uh, I'm, you know, I really do wish him the best. I'm curious to see what happens next. I do wonder about Platinum's fate without him. I do think he is a big part of their personality, their DNA. Um, but I don't think this is the end for Platinum, but... Part of me does maybe wonder, is he jumping ship for some reason? Right. Um, I mean, we yeah, we, we have no idea, really, if it's him be having a better offer or him wanting to go on a different, a different direction for himself personally as a game designer, uh, or if he is jumping ship. We just don't know. Um, we've seen a big trend in the last decade of legendary game designers leaving their studios to start their own studio which sometimes a lot of the time I would think uh, get you know get deals with big publishers yeah that's uh, you know it is um, I do wonder about their motivation sometimes right like are they just trying to get bought out so they can get a big payday is that what the hope right. is you know make some new IP that people want to play and then you know, EA swoops in and buys you out for, you know, $50 million. Right, right. And, and they call themselves indie. 
Yeah, which that's, is, something. that's something that yeah. Oh, we have to have that discussion. Yeah, we have to. Um, but yeah, this this started all the way back with Igarashi leaving Tecmo, with uh, or I'm sorry, Itagaki leaving Tecmo, Igarashi leaving Konami, um, to all to start their own studios. Obviously, Hideo Kojima leaving Konami. I mean, Konami. I think that's a special case. Anybody who left Konami, yeah, they had they a good reason because Konami was going in a weird direction. Yeah. Um, Definitely. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, I don't know about Rick, but I, I personally wish Kamiya the best. And Absolutely. I, <laughs> I love Platinum Games. I, uh, dude, remember when we went to the Metal Gear Rising event? Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to have to go down memory lane oh, yeah. and talk about that one of these days. Um, yeah, uh, I, I really do. Uh, I'm curious to see what happens next. I'm excited for him. If he's excited, yeah, you know, it can only mean good things. I it, I think it will mean good things. He's gonna make a great game, yeah. whatever his next project is. I'm guessing he got some kind of offer that was way too good to refuse, where he's gonna be able to make like his dream game or something. I think that's most likely the yeah. case. Yeah, I mean, why else do you leave a studio that you founded essentially? Absolutely. You know? I just hope it's not um, Tencent. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's that's who has all the money. Yeah, that's true. Know? And if Tencent wants to give him a ginormous budget to make his magnum opus... Yeah, I then, guess. Then so be it, you know? I guess so. Um, that's true. All right, so uh, we're going to talk Unity. Unity's been in the news a bit lately. Yes, yeah. Um, now, you're you're a bit of a Unity expert yourself. You you work on developed games in Unity, so uh, I'm going to let you take lead on this one. Yeah, sure. So, uh, recently, um, Unity had announced something that rubbed a lot of developers the wrong way, and I'm pulling up my notes here. All right, so real briefly, Unity announced that they were going to start charging $0.20 cents per install for every single one of their games across all platforms. And developers are outraged, particularly indie developers and mobile game developers. Yeah, that's kind of the gist. Uh, they announced a Unity runtime fee of $0.20 cents initially. This was on, um, this was on September 13th. Uh, Per what they said, the term they used was install for personal and plus license devs. Uh, Unity has four licenses. Okay. And then a one to 15 cent uh, fee for pro and uh, one to 12 and a half cent for enterprise uh, licenses, depending on um, the new, the amount of installs per month. Okay. Right. Uh, this would affect games that reach. Uh, 200,000 annually and 200,000 lifetime installs for personal and plus and $1 million revenue annually and 1 million uh, installs lifetime uh, lifetime installs for pro and enterprise um, now on the 22nd they came out with a big update to this after a lot of pressure and that's a lot of time if you think about it from September 13th to September yeah, 22nd it was it was more than a week. Yes. That just anger and frustration. Anger and frustration. Um, articles on Ars Technica and I don't, maybe Gama Sutra. Oh, everywhere. 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 Everywhere covered this. Um, there, some of them, some of the articles were talking about like potential lawsuits and stuff like that coming from devs, yeah. especially larger studios. Um, now, finally, 
they were trying to hold their ground, but finally they uh, came out on the 22nd and made an update, and it's actually pretty good. I, I can actually okay. I can live with this. So, so what what's changed from the original agreement? So, the uh, uh, they changed the the term install to the term initial engagement, hmm. which. It's, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is because install implies you know one one player one user can install the game twenty times. Right. Every time they download a new phone or get a new phone, they want to download their game again that's made in Unity. Exactly. And if the developer has to pay twenty cents every time they do that, that's silly. That does that makes no sense. But um, Unity has a way of tracking the console or the system's i you know identification. Okay. And they do it that way now. Uh, now it's going to be fifteen cents for pro, uh, with less than a hundred thousand initial engagements per month, um, which can go all the way down to one cent for enterprise users with over a million a month. So this still favors the big studios over the small studios, mm. but later on, uh, there's more details here that actually favor this, make it a pretty good deal for the. The small studios. Um, the runtime fee is also capped at two two and a half percent of the revenue or the price point of the game. So this is a big deal because previously free to play games this this would have destroyed, ma- them, destroyed them made them made them impossible to develop on Unity basically. Right. Um, so with with the fee being capped at two point five percent of the price point or up to 20 cents or 15 cents now uh, that's a big deal so if a game is free to play like for example Genshin Impact is made in Unity right like this makes me think that Unity wants a chunk of that change so for as long as Genshin Impact is free to play they they shouldn't they shouldn't pay anything but I don't know how this applies to in-game purchases nothing I read says anything about that or even mentions it um I imagine that that goes into revenue, counts as part of revenue, and you know, I don't. I assume that studio has an enterprise license. Probably. So after they get a million in revenue, they'll have to owe something. Okay. Uh, according to this, um, the uh, so now with the updated terms here, the only projects that this actually affects. Are games that reach a million dollars in revenue in the last year are using the next version or later? They announced that um, the uh, current gen- or current version and older versions will not have this impact. Um, so it's it's only now forward uh, and um, have a pro or enterprise license. That's right. They announced that the personal is going to be free again. Okay. So if you operate with a personal license, you know, Unity personal as your license, which is all the solo devs, everybody making those small little games on itch.io and stuff, that's what they're using. Okay. Like they're using Unity personal. Um, Unity is that per- what you use? Uh, I use Pro, but it was provided to me by... Oh, okay. That. That's fine. But... Um, it, yeah, it was provided to me by my console holder, um, so that. But I I'm using 
2017, Unity okay. 2017. So I won't be impacted. Right, because this only impacts the new version that's coming out next year, right? The uh, correct. That's games correct. Built games built in the current version right now will not be affected. Exempt from all of this. Correct. So I kind of feel like they're putting a band-aid on it, but mm-hmm. you know, a few years from now, as people start to use the new version, they might Unity, start rolling it more fees and stuff like that. Yeah, this is like, still crossing the line because right. the founder of Unity came out a long time ago and said, "We're not effing around." Was his exact verbiage when in response to a question about fees okay. and royalty shares, um, and this is a 180 from that philosophy, right? You know, um, but at least they rolled it back. At least it's a little bit better, you know. And I don't know what Unity's doing financially. I don't know how they're doing, but you know, if this is, I think their shares took a huge hit. I think that's what it is. Weeks. I really think that's what it is. Well, they probably uh, thought their shares were going to spike when they announced these new fees. Right. But it seems it's had the opposite effect. Yeah, they just made people really mad. Yeah. Um, I mean, what are you without your your users if, if right. people don't want to develop games you, using users? They're not anymore? untouchable. They're not. I mean, they they own the place as yeah. far as engines go, especially among indies, but um, this this can hurt them if they continue down this road too far. Now, I've seen um, a lot of indie devs talking about this alternative to Unity. It's called Godot, G-A-D-O-T. Oh, yeah, I, I'm familiar with Godot. I've never um, used it or tinkered with it, but yeah, it's... Okay, it, I think it uses C-sharp. Okay, yeah. so yeah, that's an easy conversion. If you are on Unity and you want to get off of Unity, you can go to Godot and... Your programming language, uh, C-sharp, should translate pretty easily. Okay. Um, there is one other point here, and that's that when using Unity Personal, it has always been the case, and I've been using Unity since Unity 2, way back in, like, 2008 or 2009. Um, it has always been the case that when you're using Unity Personal and you release a game, if your game makes over $100,000 in revenue, you're required to upgrade to Pro. Mm. Um now that means upgrading to pro means that you're going to have some fees. Right. Um, but check this out. This is the part where they did something good for the little guy. Okay. They increased that limit to 200000 Okay. So that's nice. They doubled the, that limit. So that's going to exempt. Uh, I think I also read something about developers are no longer required to use the made with Unity. So, slash yes. Thing. Yep. That's, that's true. Um, which is weird that they did that actually they so unity personal has always required to you or your game to use the made with unity splash screen probably as an incentive to get people to get pro um, or at least buy a month of pro when you launch mm-hmm. so that you can disable that if okay. you don't want it um, I can think of instances where you might want that but um, with like tech demos and stuff that aren't necessarily games and you want to show that you use the game engine right um or something like that but um that's actually really nice that they made that optional because yeah that would require you to get pro to get rid of that splash screen so some stuff that is a positive a win for the little developer here they are still giving volume discounts for 
big studios that reach the million dollar mark and stuff like that but you know um, I understand that Unity needs to stay afloat and I know that they do need to evolve their policies and figure out ways to be more profitable because I want that I just want them to stay alive I'm not saying they're struggling necessarily or were probably are now but uh, they yeah I I just yeah um, so Unity updated the the uh, the terms that I mean I feel like Unity's biggest problem was going public. I feel like when any any company goes public, they they shift their priority to shareholders. Yes, than they do their their that, users. That's uh that's um, any company. Um, so I mean now that you I don't know how long Unity's been public, but I feel like well now they have you know their shareholders want to get more money. They want more value for their shares, so Unity's trying to find ways to create more value in the company. Um, when I'm sure, before they were public, they were making money just as fine. But they saw that, oh, I can, you know, we can make the company public, and now all of a sudden, I've got a huge amount of shares that are worth, you know, triple what it was worth before. Uh, right. I don't know. This is just a trap that I feel happens it's, it, all too much. Yeah. It's any company, and there are, once you go public, there are C level people running around thinking about their salaries and how they can make them bigger. Yeah. Um, so that, that might be what this is. Yeah. I mean, the, the current CEO of Unity, or I don't know if he's the CEO, but he's one of those C whatever suits, yeah, one of the suits, uh, John Riticello, yeah, who was the uh, the f- the guy who used to run EA, and so you know that's that should speak volumes mm-hmm. to uh, what's going on at Unity, I think. Um, but yeah, definitely a precarious situation. I think they've taken the heat off them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've, for the time being, made people. Um, I can tell you that Ars Technica is. Their last article about them was had a positive okay. attitude about it. Um, I I haven't really looked at Gama Sutra or any yeah. of the other websites. I mean, it sounds like they've listened. Um, you know, right. They've heard the feedback, but um, they were pretty adamant. It sounds like for like the week and a half before they yeah, came I out mean, with they this. didn't back down. They didn't really say much of anything. I don't think. Um, but uh, I'm glad they responded with at least a, sort of a. A temporary fix, uh, right. you know, to make uh, the people currently using Unity more comfortable right. and not as worried about their financial security in you know the next couple of years to come. I mean, I do think some damage has been done mm-hmm. that probably can't be undone. Right, and there probably are developers who are now like, okay, they tried this once. Right, what's to stop them from doing it again? You know, maybe we need to get out of here. Right, it um, just you know, if they need revenue shares, that's one thing, but make it scalable and do not because initially they wanted. Unity personal license to bear the brunt of this. Yeah, they were the ones that that's that's the yeah. little guy. Yeah, they were the ones that were going to get the twenty cent yeah. fee, which and, is insane, and that's insane. Yeah, I so. mean when you have a free game, right? I mean twenty cents per. I mean you have a bunch of people who download the game once and I, never spend a dime. I'm going to say something else that this is kind of a devil's advocate okay. a little bit, but I, it's actually what I feel. This is actually my opinion. Um, I think that. Unity's wording wording of their initial announcement of these policy changes 
was misinterpreted and not well thought out. I think they, I don't think they actually ever meant for free to play to bear these fees. Okay, I think they just didn't think of you know how how to include that. Okay, so it's not that it was so much misrepresented. It was more that it was they didn't elaborate enough. Exactly, they didn't explain. So you think really nothing's actually changed? They've just detailed it further. Uh, no, no, have... stuff definitely has oh, changed. Okay, okay. Yeah, because the fees... Well, personal was going to get, like, heavily feed, and now it's totally free. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So stuff... No, they definitely changed the terms. But I think that uh, they talk a lot about wanting to change the the word install to the word right. initial engagement. I mean, 20... So let's say a developer, an indie developer, their game blows up. You know, they charge $10 per copy of the game, and right. now it's sold a million copies. Right. Um, How much are they paying? So... They were on personal. If they were on personal, when they got to 200000 annual, uh, they would have had been required to upgrade to Pro, and then they would have been eligible right, for... Right, but this happened overnight. For these fees. This uh, happened, like, within the span of two weeks. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, they're... A lot of the art... Well, Unity released a bunch of tables okay. that, like, you can calculate. Right. Um, I didn't do a lot of right. looking. And now, Unity is supposedly able to track the installs in the background, Yeah, the the newer versions of the engine have uh, that capability. They're okay. all tied to Unity. I mean, does that mean that, like, every game made in Unity has, like, some built-in online DRM now? Well, uh, I don't know if it, I'd call it DRM, but your developer license is definitely attached to it. Okay. Um, I wouldn't call it DRM, because okay. DRM is for security. and Right, but pirating. what if you sell a physical game and you don't have internet connection? How does... How does Unity know that you installed it? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, well, you need internet to install it. You no, know, I think it's... I read something that Unity is going to. For some cases, you have to do self-reporting. Oh yeah, that that I mean, I can. There, that's gonna have to happen no right. matter what, because there are going to be instances where either there is no internet connection or the developer is using a very old version of Unity mm. to you know, output their game. Right. And that won't include... Right, because upgrading... You know, games take a long time to make. Right. So if someone starts making a game in a certain version of Unity and, you know, their game doesn't come out for five years, they don't want to upgrade the engine every year because that means a huge amount of work for them. Every single... Stuff is going to break every time you upgrade your version of the game. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, every... Yeah, even... Like, with my game, uh, if I download the next version of Unity and open the project and hit, you know, import, it's stuff's going to be broken. Textures are missing. Materials don't work. Shaders don't work. Um, Not a lot, but enough to make it a project, getting it back in shape. Right. Okay, well, uh, you know, hopefully uh, Unity developers are feeling a little more secure at the moment, and... Uh, you know they have some choices to make. Yeah. You know after they finish their current project, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Unity is still. I'm. I'm just biased. I know. I think Unity is still great. Right. It's a great engine. It's a great resource. I mean, it's effectively free. Right. Until you make a two hundred thousand dollars in revenue, which now. is understandable. Right. I mean. Yeah. 
you know I wish they would go more after like the big studios that are making 10 million dollars right. on their unity projects and right you know or take, Genshin Impact making more than a billion right, dollars yeah Genshin is gonna have to pay something but they have this volume discount that's the most off-putting one um, that can go down all the way to one cent per engagement right I and mean, that's only the big big guys right. that are going to get that well that's because i mean these are the people who have 10 million people playing their game you right know? so the, that that paycheck is still going to be expensive right i guess especially if there's like a, a cost associated with in-game transactions right um and they're also definitely paying for the most expensive unity license which yeah. is Enterprise. They probably also have a source code license, which is thousands. Okay. That's a license to be able to get the source code for the Unity engine, uh, so that you can. To yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. All right. Um, so we're gonna go back in time a couple weeks now to uh, the Nintendo Direct and the PlayStation State of Play for uh, this past month, September. Um, what was the date on that again? Uh, September. So- I don't... Oh, the 14th. It was the 14th of September. Yeah, Thursday. Let's start off with the Nintendo Direct. Um, I watched this live in person that day on my lunch break. And uh, while there's some really cool, exciting things, I think there's something that's super apparent on Nintendo's part. But uh, what what did you think? Oh, I... Well, I thought all the, great, all the games looked uh, really good. I think they they were gorgeous. I, I saw lots of RPGs and, and tactical RPGs. I saw, surprisingly, a lot of rhythm games and a lot of Mario Brother games. Yes, Mario had quite the day. Yeah, he did. Um, so, let's just start off by talking about some of the bigger titles. Um, the show... We'll start off where the show ends. The show ends with a reveal uh, that Paper Mario, The Thousand Year Door, the GameCube classic is getting re-released, rebuilt from scratch for Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something fans I know have been clamoring for for years. You know, typically Nintendo ends their direct with like one more thing. Right. And this time it was Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door. So the fact that they're ending their Nintendo Direct with a effectively a remake of a classic game, remake, remaster depending on how you Right. How you consider that uh, to be used um, tells me that Nintendo is um, finishing up with the Switch. Hmm. Like these titles are are titles that you um, that you put out when you're wrapping up a console's life cycle. Yeah, they. I think they could still get many more years out of it. Oh, I think the Switch will be around. I mean, Nintendo has historically kept the old console around for a little while but we're getting into another topic so um you know i digress a little bit there uh but yeah paper mario the thousand year door i'm personally excited by that it's a really expensive game to to track down today like you're talking like 120 bucks i think right to pick up a copy in box for paper mario the thousand year door some of the mario titles really have a way of doing that yeah particularly paper mario because it's a little more niche Mm-hmm. And it's got like very hardcore fans, so people that own a copy are not likely to sell a copy. They sell their copy of the game. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean that's a win for everybody. Now I know you're not always the biggest fan of 
remakes or remasters. You'd rather play the original on the original console, right? That's true, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Are um, there any cases where you've ever been excited by a remake oh, or yes. a remaster? Yeah, that's yeah. not across the board. Okay. Um, yeah, there are many. Um, what I Speaking of remakes, there were quite a few uh, yeah. in this direct. Uh, Luigi's Mansion 2, uh, Mario vs. Donkey Kong, a Game Boy Advance title being yep. rebuilt from scratch with 3D graphics. It looks really nice. It looks amazing. Uh, Contra looked really good. Yes. Uh, Tomb Raider yes. thing looked really cool. Yeah, I was I loved, by that I loved that you could toggle. Yeah, just like, at, you know, at the snap of a finger, you can go from retro graphics to, like, slightly modern retro graphics. Yep. And there's... Uh, this is kind of a weird topic here. It's a remake, but it's got, you know, kind of... Um, Something we've seen before, where they turn it into, like, a... What do you call it? Uh, I don't know. What uh, do you call it? Um, what game are you talking about? A, like a showdown? The F-Zero thing. Oh, yes. Okay, so Nintendo, they have their Nintendo family online plan thing that right. you can subscribe to, either individually or as part of a family plan. And they have these uh, battle royale games. That's what I think. They had Tetris ninety nine. They had uh, Mario. They had a Mario one. I can't remember what the number was, like thirty five or something like that. And then they had Pac Man ninety nine. Unfortunately, Pac Man ninety nine was recently um, discontinued its online service Mm -hmm. and is no longer available for purchase. Or I mean, it was a free download, but you could purchase. Uh, a pack that would allow you to play extra game modes and play the game offline by yourself. Um, that's gone now. Oh. Um, but F Zero Ninety Nine is here to take its spot as the free game from uh, Nintendo Switch Online, and it looks pretty, pretty cool. I haven't. I've downloaded it on my Switch. I haven't played it yet. I've been too distracted by the Pokemon DLC. Yeah. Um, but uh, it looks great, and I've heard nothing but good stuff from people who've been playing it online. I know a lot of F Zero fans were disappointed. Yeah, that there, there was. I'm, a particular... I'm just happy to see F Zero get something. Yes, I 100% agree. I know online there's some there's a guy on Twitter who who leaked or who teased a lot of stuff coming to the Nintendo Direct, and he was right about all of it. Everything that he teased was there. Well, follow that guy. Uh, yeah, I think his name is. Pyoro, P-Y-O-R-O. Um, he, he's got an in somewhere with Nintendo. I don't know where <laughs> he's getting his info from, but everything he teased came true. Um, but, uh, yeah, he had teased F-Zero, and uh, unfortunately... Uh, it wasn't like a brand new. Oh yeah, you're right. You know, I can see a, that going sideways. It was a battle royale version of the night. You know, the F Zero. Right. For SNES, which I think is awesome. I do. I uh, think it's really cool. I. But I can I'm, see if you're a hardcore, dedicated. Right. You haven't gotten a new F Zero game since the GameCube. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're dying. Yeah. For you're a dying. New F-Zero. You're dying, and it's because Mario Kart's there. Yeah. And they just don't need two racing franchises. You're probably right. Why would Nintendo compete against itself? I right. mean, they did throw F Zero a bone in Mario Kart Eight. They did put a couple F Zero courses mm-hmm. or F Zero inspired courses, I should say, and some carts in Mario Kart Eight. That's. I mean, I I don't even know if that's a bone. It's more like <laughs> I mean, a, it's a bone. It's more like a kernel of dog food. <laughs> 
but I mean, I was excited to hear that music in, in, in Mario Kart. I, and I think that's a hint of where the next Mario Kart game we get might not be a Mario Kart yeah, game. It, yeah. I think we could be going, you know... That's interesting to think about. Super Nintendo Kart, you know, Super Smash Kart or something like that. That would know? be really crazy. Yeah, because they had DLC courses that featured, like, Animal Crossing tracks in Mario Kart 8 oh, Deluxe. yeah, yeah. So I think that's where we're going to see the next Mario Kart from Nintendo go. It'll be interesting. I mean, Mario Kart has such a recognizable brand name oh yeah so i mean they just built a whole ride at universal studios based around mario kart right so i do think maybe they're a little leery of losing the mario kart branding but um, there was a not that long ago there was a saturday night live skit that was basically a mario kart movie uh-huh. trailer oh yeah i remember that it's with like Pedro this Pascal. gritty yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the last of us but mario kart <laughs> but um getting back to like the f-zero thing it's it's a concept like it's almost like a new type of remake or re-release yeah, you yeah. Know? i've enjoyed uh like i really like pac-man 99 i really like tetris 99 i think mm-hmm. it's a fun novel way to bring back like a classic title R- rather than just constantly keep regurgitating the yeah. same game file um and so I, I'm excited to check it out. I really do uh, want to see F Zero Ninety Nine. I just need to put down Pokemon for an evening and check it out. Um, there were also some other wacky indie game type of items here in in the direct. Uh, that Trombone Champ, yes, looked interesting. I Had you definitely... not seen that before? No, I hadn't. Okay, yeah, it's been on. I think it came out on Steam sometime last year. Oh, okay, it's pretty goofy yeah um but it looks like it's fun i i have heard from people that it's hilarious for about half an hour and then you never then go you're, back you're, to yeah, it okay. you're kind of like okay i'm tromboned out but i like that they're incorporating like multiplayer mm-hmm. and they're incorporating like motion controls into using it right i do think it could find a new home as sort of like a party game something you break out when you've got people over right. i think that's a really smart move from them because i'm sure they have data that shows that people don't play this game for a huge length of time right but i do think it can find like a second life in someone's home as a party game they, i mean it had 50 songs in it yeah that's now on pc it's got a big advantage because you can add your own songs to oh, it. Okay. Yeah, people make custom tracks for it. So gotcha. when it comes to console, you're going to so be much. a little more limited. I'm sure they'll probably do like DLC packs and things like that if it takes off on console. Just curious, do you know the name of the studio for that game? I don't off the top okay. of my head, gotcha. no. Um, another one, Rhythm Game, that they mentioned, uh, also indie looking. Uh, Super Crazy Rhythm Castle. Uh, that one looked... I, it's kind of really hard to tell what all is going on on screen. Okay. It's very busy. You know, that one has escaped my memory. Oh, a yeah. Bit. It's, yeah. Uh, it's up there. Okay. Um, but, yeah, indie, indie looking, at least. All right. So, for me, what I'm most excited about from the Direct was it's got kind of a corny name, I'm not going to lie, but Vanillaware is one of my favorite studios yes. of all time. Hands down. Same. I buy every single one of their games on day one. I don't care. Unicorn Overlord. Yeah, Unicorn Overlord was the next thing I was going to bring up. I was not... I did not have that on my bingo card for, you know, 
Vanillaware has never been super focused on Nintendo. Miramasa was originally exclusive mm-hmm. for the Nintendo the Wii. Wii yeah. But I feel like in you know the last decade or so, they've been focusing primarily on PlayStation. Well, 13 the- Sentinels did get a port for Nintendo Switch. Right. I think it was last year. So that um, only makes one game that was never released on Switch or Nintendo. Which um, is um, Dragon... Dragon's Crown. Yeah. Was never released. Um, so other than that, all their three other ones ha- are... I know, They even made a DS game a long oh, time ago that only released in Japan. Oh, crap. Um, but uh, I think Princess Crown... I don't think that... Oh, I forgot about Princess Crown. You're right. Um, and then technically Miramasa Rebirth. Which okay, it yeah. does add quite about a significant amount of content through the DLC. Mm-hmm. Which is... You know, I'm not going to have a whole conversation about this, but the the DLC for Miramasa Rebirth is, in my opinion, the way to do DLC. Like, there has never been DLC as good as the DLC in Miramasa Rebirth. Mm-hmm. Like, it adds so much replayability to the game. The new characters they add, you can explain you can fight all the bosses from the main game and they each have their own new story and slate of bosses it is the defining way to do dlc it's not some little one megabyte thing that you download and Mm -hmm. then you unlock some costumes you know it's it's dlc and that was almost a decade ago if not a decade ago that that came out the artwork of course because it's vanilla wear looks incredible like insane yeah uh they're really good it's a tactical RPG, which is which my favorite genre. Yeah, I I can't get enough of it, um, and you know it's yeah. I, I pre-ordered that collector's edition the second it became available, and sure, it's got a bunch of useless crap, but uh, I want to give Vanillaware my money, and I don't care. Oh yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, I that's like if there's any one studio that I'm like, they need to stay alive. I need to protect them yep. more than any any other studio on the planet Earth. It's it's Vanillaware. Thankfully, they have a good relationship with Atlas, and Atlas seems to be happy to fund their games and publish. They're them. very Atlasy, yeah. To to be fair, yeah. Um, they uh, um, what was I going to say? The uh, the Unicorn Overlord whole trailer, you know, piece that they played. Um, what it showed, like it showed the characters, it showed them walking around, it showed the. Um, puppet style 2D animation yeah. uh, that same kind of 2D animation that you see in Miramasa yeah. with the bosses and stuff I, yeah so I I was really really excited to see that that's, that's my bread and butter I, I can't get enough of it one game that I that was in the direct that I didn't even know about but I'm ready to buy um, is actually this Spy Anya Operation Memories game. Okay. It's like a what anime... What do you know about this? Yeah, because it's based on an anime called Spy Family. Uh, yeah. I've never watched it. I think it looks interesting. I Based on the gameplay that I saw, <laughs> I am like... It's huge, by the way. This anime yeah. is ginormous. Like, really? It's probably one of the most popular, an- like top five popular animes on the planet right now. Uh, I would probably start watching it Yeah, as I started playing this. Just the gameplay looks awesome. Yeah. I'm I'm just want to go play it. It's like a little slice of life sim. Yeah, exactly. To be like a toddler. Exactly. I yeah, it's too different. Yeah, that was that was definitely. There was a lot of unexpected stuff in this direct. Like stuff I never would have guessed was coming, like the 
the niche gamer inside of me who's a fan of like weird kind of strange experimental games mm-hmm. was like over the moon there was a lot of that um yeah. dave the diver is another one that they showed where you play as this guy who dives for fish yeah. and then you go serve sushi to a bunch of people in yeah. one of those restaurant yeah. style management games yeah that looked really cool um princess peach showtime i'm gonna buy okay it. yeah i'm gonna buy it yeah princess peach peach is getting another video game after what 15 years yeah since the ds title um and it looks looks really freaking cool i love that they're giving her like her own big story and just all the cool transformations that she has i love the theater play It's like motif too, that they're going for yeah, the theme yeah uh the kung fu peach transformation yeah. had me sold like that was uh, i'm all it. about sword master peach that outfit that was yeah that was cool yeah That's, she looks awesome yeah um yeah that they had teased this new peach game when they did a direct back in june or may i can't remember when it was but they didn't say much about it um at the time but yeah we really got a full reveal of it or as close to a full reveal as we'll probably get for a little while um, there were two League of Legends spinoffs mentioned or shown, and uh, they both look really good. Probably not going to play them just because it's League of Legends and <laughs> prejudice, prejudice. And um, but they look good. They look like really good games. Um, that sort of uh, mana style, okay. Harvest Moon style two okay. D top down kind of look. Um, I'm I you are the Splatoon guy between the two of us. Okay, yeah. But the I mean, side order thing looked really cool. Yeah. Looked really cool. So, yeah, I mean, I I didn't I haven't bought Splatoon 3. I haven't played it. I did play the first Splatoon. I did play Splatoon 2. Um Splatoon 2 started having um DLC. And the the last DLC was like the really meaty DLC where they add like new story content and stuff. And they're following that same kind of trend for Splatoon 3. And yeah, they get really weird, abstract, and like interesting. Like Splatoon fans, like they are going to be feasting on this DLC. I'm sure they cannot wait. Mm -hmm. Um, Splatoon single player content is really hard. Yeah, I bet. It is not for, you know, like you got to be like. I don't want to say like I don't want to sound gatekeepy, but you got to be like a real gamer. You got to spend some time. You got to get good at this game. Yeah. Um, because it's it's different from the multiplayer. I mean, it plays the same. You control the character the same way, but um, it's challenging. There are some re- they're like crazy obstacle courses, mm-hmm. and I mean the game is forgiving in that like you respawn you know not far from where you you know die right. oh, your character, good. but. Um, uh, they they are very challenging, you know. They're, they're I can imagine they're real gamer games, you know. The way that looked though, the Splatoon oh, yeah. three side the order, just the, yeah, the yeah. aesthetic was just incredible. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. It didn't even look like I had to look closely to see yeah. that it was Splatoon. And and the way they present it to you in this very mysterious fashion, mm-hmm. it's like you just can't help but be like, oh, like that was a great trailer. Yeah, that was it, a was. Real, it was. It was really masterclass trailer right there. Um, so for me, uh, I mean, okay, a couple other things I'm excited for, but one thing I really want to talk about. So I'm excited for the Super Mario RPG remake. That's something I never had access to as a kid. 
Um, I didn't have a Super Nintendo until, you know, I was like a tween practically. Mm -hmm. And Super Mario RPG is an expensive game then, and it's an expensive game now. Right. Uh, It's a cult classic, and uh, they're remaking the game for the Switch. It comes out in a couple months. It looks fantastic. They've added a lot to the game while retaining its weird, quirky visual look and charm. Well, I think think Squaresoft was involved with that. They developed it originally. So, I mean, I am curious. Nintendo hasn't said anything. Square Enix hasn't said anything about who's taking development duties for this. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll be curious when the credits roll or when, you know, that information gets out to see who is responsible, if it's a joint thing or if they farmed it out to maybe a third party altogether. Right. Uh, But what I'm really interested in, what I was really shocked to see... Oh, yeah. ...was another code... I forgot about that. ...recollection, which is a brilliant title because it's basically saying it's a remake and it's a collection with the word recollection. Right. I mean, it's just so and smart. It's, it's a sequel to Trace Memory. Well, so... It's, there was a second one in, in the middle. Right. So it's a collection of two games. The original game for DS, Trace Memory, and then a second oh, right. game, which only released in Japan and Europe, never in North America. Right. Um, I can't remember the title off the top of my head. But it's finally coming to the Americas. Um, I, I played Trace Memory on DS. Okay. Beat it. Yeah. Like, and there's multiple endings and yeah. stuff. Played them all. Yeah. And uh, I still think about that game yeah. today. So, I mean, no one thought that was coming. No. I mean, well, technically, that guy on Twitter kind of hinted that it might be coming. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, people were in disbelief. People were doubting this guy majorly because Nintendo, uh, they're not always the best at remembering their less successful franchises. Right. Um, so it was... <laughs> Very true. <laughs> it was a, a massive shock to see that this was really happening. And this is more than a simple port job, for sure. I mean, it, they're developing, redeveloping the visual. I mean, it looks stunning yep. uh, compared to how it was presented on the DS back then. Right. It looked good then, but not yeah. now. Oh, yeah. It was impressive for the DS, for right. sure. Um, but... Uh, just uh i'm excited because i didn't play that it was one of those ds games mm. that came went got really expensive yeah and I, I i missed the boat on it i wasn't as online i wasn't paying attention to uh the discourse back then it, it has sort of the uh atmosphere of like a horror game mm-hmm. but it's not really a right. horror game i've heard it's more emotional right yeah it's dark yeah yeah um, but... um so i'm looking forward to playing through those for the first time um you know, the Nintendo Switch could go another year if it just gives me more cool niche games like this. Um, I'm excited, but I know uh, your average gamer was probably not like overwhelmed with excitement by this direct. Mm-hmm. Right? It's yeah. I mean, there's plenty of Mario in there, like so. There anyone is, looking there for is, that, but... but it's not like 3D Mario. Right. You know, it's not Mario Odyssey, but Mario Wonder. Uh, it didn't really get a whole lot of talk at this one because Mario Wonder's coming out pretty soon and it, it got its own direct a couple weeks earlier. Um, and I got to play it when I went to Nintendo Live in Seattle at the beginning of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fantastic, by the way, and I'm I'm actually picking it up on day one, which I don't usually do for 2D Mario games. Um, 
that's coming out. There's Paper Mario. There's Mario RPG. There's Mario versus Donkey Kong. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's the Peach game. There's the Peach game. There's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, the final, uh, the the final booster <laughs> DLC. Luigi's course. Mansion 2. Really Luigi's was... Mansion 2. I mean, even WarioWare yep. is tangentially a Mario title. Um, it's it's great. It's great. I mean, these titles they're going to be able to coast on. I think for the first half of next year. Yeah. Um, Which, if you're trying to collect all the Mario titles, this is going to kill you. <laughs> this yeah, is gonna... this is going to break the bank <laughs> a little bit. Um, um, I mean, in my case, I think I've purchased almost every single first-party published Nintendo Switch game. Mm-hmm. I might be missing maybe two or three. Um, so, yeah, this is... That's going to be tough for you. Up. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm actually really, really glad to see all the tactical RPGs and um, we talked about Unicorn Overlord already but there was also the uh, Aude and Chronicle 100 Heroes Yes, the new Saga game Emerald Beyond uh, War Tale and War Groove 2 okay. like, so like 5 let's talk about Aude and Chronicles real quick what yeah. do you know about that game uh, just what I saw okay so it, it may have reminded you and I'm probably mispronouncing this uh Suidoken Suidoken uh, on the P- PlayStation I think it was a Oh Konami yeah title. okay yeah So it is made by the devs The dev from that Yes like like a lot of the key members they left I think it was Konami right Yeah it was yeah. Konami cuz Konami announced a Suidoken uh remake that they're doing or like a a port of the original couple games that they're doing Right um earlier this year and so uh, it's one of those games where there's like more than a hundred different characters to recruit to right, your party. Right. Total branching story. I, like different I, in outcomes. a tactical RPG, that's yeah. an amazing thing. Cause... And visually, it is amazing. Now, this was a game that they said they wouldn't be able to port to the Switch when they launched their Kickstarter years ago. Oh. They said this game will be for the Switch successor and PlayStation 4, Xbox, and so on. Because this game had a Kickstarter, I want to say, four, maybe five years ago now. Um, But somehow they've made it work on the Switch, and it looked pretty dang good. I mean, it's probably capped at 30 FPS. I'm sure some people uh, are probably debating, well, do I want to get that on Switch, or do I want to get that on a home console? Um, You know, I don't know. Well, not that Switch isn't a home console, but you know what I mean. Right. Um, so I mean, there's there's maybe going to be some performance issues with the Switch version, but the fact that they got it running and they're making it happen for people that really wanted it on Switch, I think that's awesome. Um, um, two, I mean, two in indie or tactical RPGs, War Tale and War Groove, mm-hmm. like the they they look amazing too. You know? Yeah, I I bought the original War Groove. Um, I liked it, but I found that the maps took forever. And Wargroove is basically a medieval take on Advance Wars. Oh, gotcha. Um, and it's made by Chucklefish. It um, looks like Advance Wars. Yeah. And it's great. And I, I'm curious about the sequel, if maybe they took some of that feedback where players are like, oh my god, these maps take like three hours to do, you know? Right. And, I, and you know, the game lets you save partway through, and that's cool. Um but uh, yeah, it's a, it's it could be a lot, you know, especially for a console that's very pick up and play. Um, you know, you want to be able to do things maybe a little bites. I think Advanced Wars had that figured out, you know. Mm-hmm, right. I mean, those maps could take a while to figure out the best strategy. Right. Uh, but once you have it figured out, you know, the maps are like thirty minutes, forty minutes tops usually. Um, but there are some exceptions to that with Advanced Wars. 
But uh, we're getting pretty close to a two-hour mark here, so I think we should talk about the September state of play for PlayStation real quick. Yep. Um, personally, I wasn't overly blown away by too much that I saw. Um, or at least a lot of it didn't really catch my attention. It's very Spider-Man heavy. In yeah, a way. I mean, that's their big upcoming game. Right. And that's... Um, you know, Sony, it's weird. When you compare Nintendo to Sony or Xbox, I mean, the amount of internally developed titles, first-party titles that Nintendo constantly has coming out, mm-hmm. and generally they're of a very high quality, right. with some exceptions, um, it's insane. Uh, when com- you when Compared, yeah. Compared to Sony and Mi- or Microsoft, who have like maybe one or two big games that come out every year. Right. Um, when PlayStation does it, though, they are big games. They're right? very big games. Right. They go big, they go really big. Um, but yeah, I, I do wonder, like, what's going on? I, I know that games take a long time to make, especially when you're making games in 4K. Yeah. Um, you know, the transition that Nintendo hasn't really had to make yet. Right. Um... But uh, yeah, I just I think I think they have a lot of stuff in development, and I just wonder if any of it will come to PlayStation Five or if it's all PlayStation Six titles. Right. Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a good question. So real quick, uh, PlayStation announced uh, a, a few games. They started off with an indie game called Baby Steps, which looked interesting. Yep. Um, I mean, definitely a weird title, and I respect them for opening up with it. Um, I don't know that your average PlayStation PlayStation gamer is that's really what they're looking for, right? Um, but at least they have something for those who aren't, right? Right. Um, then they started. Then they went to the uh, the Ghostbusters VR game, um, which looks cool if you really want that uh, immersive Ghostbusters experience. Um, for the core gamer, they they covered Resident Evil 4 VR mode mm-hmm. as well as... That would be so terrifying oh, in yeah. VR. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> Definitely. But the fact that, like, from what I understand, you can, like, use the knife in VR to, like, block chainsaws and oh, stuff. Geez. Like, yeah, like, that's, that's pretty crazy. Uh, I don't have a PSVR 2. I bought a PSVR on day one originally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of worried about PSVR 2. I don't know. It just seemed like a lot of money to invest into it and not really being sure it's, that yeah, you're right. there was going to be a lot of support for it. I know Sony has kind of burned some bridges in the past, especially with like the Vita and handheld community. So mm-hmm. I'm worried that VR2 is their, their next Vita. Yeah, they really have a way of like screwing over some of their systems. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, it just sucked. The Vita was incredible, and I don't know why they gave up so early. I feel like they could have supported it for a little longer to make something better out of it um real quick though um also with the resident evil 4 vr mode they announced a brand new dlc campaign for resident evil 4 separate ways um so i imagine resident evil uh story fiends are salivating over what's what's to come there right um then there was a new avatar frontiers of pandora game which i actually thought that looked pretty impressive it's coming from ubisoft um it i can't remember was was it first person or was it third person or could you switch the uh what the, the avatar uh, oh Tears of Pandora. it was i you know what it showed the third person character but i couldn't really tell if that was cutscene 
or if um, that was like okay. gameplay yeah it's a couple of weeks ago now for me in my head so I'm struggling to remember apologies um, real quick uh, one game that really did stand out to me in this is the Honkai Star Rail game that, <laughs> okay. that looked really okay. cool so this is the game I was talking about earlier it's made by the creators of Genshin Impact oh Oh shoot! Oh, it looked really good. you got hood. Okay, well, there. hold on. No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, hold on. Genshin Impact looks great. It looks okay. amazing. It looks okay. beautiful. I, okay. I've always said that. Um, so for him to make a real game is awesome. <laughs> for Mr. Genshin, right? Um, Foam Stars made me face palm so hard that it hurt. Like, it was right on brand. Okay, hold, well, we gotta talk about Star Rail for a second, dude. All you right. can't just move on. I, I gotta ream you a little okay, bit over right. this. Alright, so, Star Rail is a game that came out earlier this year, but it's only been playable on PC, iPhone, tablet, uh, Android, that kind of a thing. Um, but yes, it is made by the developers of Genshin Impact. It does have a similar free-to-play scheme, um, but I I really like it. I've been playing it on my iPad uh, the last few months, and um, it's definitely pulled some of my attention away from Genshin Impact. I enjoy its more, I don't want to say edgy or mature story, but um, I, I like that it respects the player's time a little more than Genshin Impact does. And uh, visually, I like the, uh, the space aesthetic. Um, the sci-fi vibe that they're going for, and uh, I like uh, the overall, you know, the, the main character and the party kind of go from one world to another, helping solve problems while also navigating a thread of their own uh, fate. Right. Anyways, the <laughs> fact that you were excited about it kind of gets me excited, yeah. and you should try it. I was excited about Genshin Impact before I realized what it was. Oh. So, I mean, the gameplay, even the navigating and the art, the yeah. everything looks it's great. Turn-based. It looks an, like yeah. an amazing game. This is a turn-based game. It is not uh, not Genshin, right? Star Rail. That's is. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that for me is yeah. a win. And it's nice because there's no timer pressuring you to choose your next move. Right. That's you can take your I'm, sweet time. That I will buy it just to support. Well, you can't buy it because it's free. I mean, oh shoot, really? <laughs> Yeah, Honkai is free? Honkai Star Rail is coming out in like two or three weeks completely for free. Oh and dang. Yeah, you don't even you don't need to spend a pay to, you don't need to spend a penny to play through the story so far. Oh wow. That's pretty so, cool. I think you I would you, love to see you check that out. I think I will. Uh is it gonna have microtransactions? Of course, like yeah, of it course. uses the same scheme. Genshin Impact. To get now again, you can earn premium currency through the game and get characters that way. You just won't get them as quickly as someone who spends a lot of money. Oh. Yeah. Right, okay. That's yeah. I mean, whatever. I'm gonna play it just because it's I say you should base. check it out, play the opening few hours. I think you'll be pretty impressed by it. Um, but Foam Stars. Foam Stars, like, this, okay. Alright, speaking of Square Enix missteps, this is published, and I believe developed, by Square Enix. Now, this is their take on Splatoon. It literally, yeah. like, their, their copy Now, of... I'm a little more um, optimistic for Foam Stars. Okay. I remember when it was first revealed this past summer, I was like, what? the heck is Square Enix thinking um, but I'm willing to open my mind to it a little bit I've heard from some people who've played 
uh, some betas and things like that, and they say it's 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 actually not that bad. It's pretty fun. Now, if they can get people to actually sign up and play, I, be- I believe it's a free-to-play Well, I, I'd say it's probably fun because they co- totally cloned a fun game. Yeah. Um, I mean... What Nintendo does, everyone else tries to imitate eventually. Right, and I mean, I was totally getting, like, flashbacks from PlayStation All-Stars when I saw yeah. this. Yeah, And that's that, to me, was what it was. Yeah. Um, the music's pretty fire, um, which Splatoon's music is also really, really good. Right. So I'm glad they're taking uh, more inspiration from Splatoon, although the music is different. Um, I, I like that they're going for a really banging soundtrack. Um, visually, I think it looks interesting. It does look good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. Foam. <laughs> right. It's foam. a little good. Spraying foam everywhere, yeah, and then they have surfboards know. or something. There's maybe some weird analogies you could take from that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm curious to see how that develops. Yeah. Um, but really, the big thing that the state of play was really all leading up to Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth. Yes. So the second game in the Final Fantasy remake trilogy um is coming coming soon. I believe it's what is it February? Uh, uh I didn't check. It, it's didn't early. Check. It's early 2024. It's when the first quarter of 2024. Um and wow I mean if anyone I mean I've complimented some people on their trailer making skills but if anyone can cut a great trailer oh (laughs) if anyone I mean Square Enix Cinematics team is the best in the world next to Blizzard yeah I was about to say Blizzard gives them a run for their money for sure but it's uh, those two they're the best Yeah, nobody does in house cinematics the way they do no um, I mean, it looks incredible, and not just the the pre rendered cinematics, but the in game cutscenes, oh, oh yeah. and just the. I don't even know if any of it's pre rendered anymore. Uh, I mean, I, I think yeah, it's all just I don't know, that, that, an engine. There might not be anything pre rendered. I mean, it looks so good that you think it's pre rendered, right? Um, um, but I don't. Okay, so I'm gonna be honest. Despite how hardcore Final Fantasy I am, I haven't played through the first remake yet uh, mainly because I got like five other Final Fantasy games that I'm still getting through yeah I, uh, I so I, know. I don't know who's in the first one I, I don't know but as soon as I saw Ketchy I got super excited because yeah. he is one of like my three favorite characters in that franchise and I have a confession to make. I never played the original Final Fantasy VII. Oh yeah there's that so I mean that's kind of a big <laughs> confession and um so this is my first time experiencing a Final Fantasy VII game, and I know it's not the same Final Fantasy VII that came out years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm aware that they've made some creative decisions, and uh, I'm sure there's some intention behind it. Um, and I'm excited to... This is one game that I am excited to read the discourse, and I do want to play quickly because I like seeing all the really hardcore Final Fantasy VII people dissecting every little thing and like mm. wondering what this is inferring what that's inferring right. like what's changing what's different what's the same um and this is just absolutely uh brilliant on square enix's part not to do a straight remake but to do something different and um 
I don't know. Somehow something tells me that this is still related to the original Final Fantasy VII beyond just being like, oh, we're taking that as a base. But like, I don't know. I feel like they're they have some grand plan that we're not aware of yet. Right? Yeah, you've you've mentioned that to me in person before. Um, I I can't really speak to that because I haven't played the remake. Uh, yeah, that's something you got to fix. I uh, <laughs> I'm also gonna um, put it out there. I have a Final Fantasy VII tattoo on my chest. So, yeah. so uh, you sound like a phony right now, dude. <laughs> I know. I feel really yet. guilty about it. Um, was there anything else from uh, the PlayStation State of Play that you wanted to touch on? Um, that was it. Baby steps. Oh yeah, Ghost Runner Two looked really cool. Actually, I thought the aesthetic of it. Ghost Runner Two. Yeah. Ah yes, yes. That's like a. That's one of those ninja games. It was yeah, but it's all high tech and yeah. red and black and yeah. glowy and you know a lot of self illumination maps in that game. Gonna look sweet on an OLED TV for sure. Yes. Um. I. I. I don't know about the trailer. It didn't really tell you much, but it, uh, and I don't know. I never played the first one. Oh, I want to touch on Helldivers Two. Oh yeah, that looked really Hell cool. Helldivers way back on the PS3. Yep. Was yeah, was it PS3 or I think it was PS3, right? I think so. Uh, is it, it probably did a PS4 version eventually? I'm thinking of a different game that was on demoed on VR. When oh, we, when Helldivers we... Two or the original Helldivers was a PlayStation Plus game. For PS3 and Vita, I want to say, and I think they probably eventually put out a PS4 version, and it was a really cool top-down um, co-op game, but like friendly fire was turned on, like always on by default, mm-hmm. so you had to be really careful about where you were aiming and stuff. And it was a pretty fun game. It had like a live service element to it, you know, before live service games were really a big deal. Um, and I thought it was uh, pretty cool. I played it for a handful of hours um, with a friend, and I, I did enjoy my time with it. So now there, I see Helldivers 2 is coming, and they are giving you a third person over the shoulder. Well, maybe not over the shoulder, but definitely no. you can control the camera, and uh, you're, it's like you're really on the battlefield now, and you're right. fighting against these weird alien insects. And um, it kind of gives me Earth... Earth Defense Force vibes. Um, if you ever played any of those games, there was a game that we demoed together on uh, on PSVR at E3, okay. and it used the blaster, oh, and okay. it looked like oh, that. Yes. And the aliens looked. like I know that. the game you're talking about. I can't remember what it's um, called. I actually think I have it in this room somewhere, still in its box, sealed. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like you were on Mars, right? And there were like insects and kind of weird things coming at you um, I heard very good things about that game yeah. it, the demo fun. was pretty fun yeah. it was super easy but it was fun um, this game I'm going to say as someone who really just plays single player games it the gameplay looks like it would be made for multiplayer it oh, looks it like is. it would be silly to be played single player I don't even know that you can you play you probably can't you probably are for, if you're not playing with friends it probably matches Ooh. you with people Yeah, um, right. and I can only imagine if it was like a sort of a pseudo live service game 10 years ago. Right. They're probably leaning even more heavily into that. If I was into multiplayer, I would pick this game to play. Okay. But um, I'm not. All right. Well, other than that, you know, Sony has one big game coming out pretty soon, uh, Spider-Man 2, which is actually the third Spider-Man game in the, the Insomniac-developed series. 
Uh, it takes place after the Miles Morales game that released uh, alongside the PS5. Um, and this game looks visually insane. Uh, I love the first two Spider-Man games. Swinging around New York is just... It's joyous. It like it, it reminds you of why games are fun. Right. It's just... It feels fantastic. Um, I do wonder... Uh, you know, I know they've added in some new traversal stuff into this game. You can, like, kind of go, like, a flying squirrel kind of thing that you can do to get a little more precise with your movements and if you want to land at a particular place or something. Um, you know, I am curious what Insomniac does to... I mean, this is the third game now featuring New York City. I know they've added in some new boroughs mm-hmm. uh, of the city that are available. They said they doubled it. They doubled the size. They doubled the size. Um, well, that's that's crazy then, because I mean it was massive to begin with. I mean that was one of those games that I almost never used fast travel with, right? Because it was yeah, just it's so just much too fun, fun to, to, to navigate. Around. Like I was like, forget fast travel. I'll work my way up the city in five minutes, you know. Right. And then you inevitably run into all kinds of little side things to do on your way there, and little collectibles to gather, and it's definitely uh, a premier single player game. Right. Like if you like single player games you like finding little hidden treasures and collectibles and side quests and you like completing it it's it's definitely one of those games but it's not overwhelming like say like a lot of modern ubisoft games are where it's like your mini map has like 30 different markers pointing in a different direction that's just overwhelming uh this is a lot more uh self-contained um you know, like, you know, at most you got a handful of markers, you know, um, going. Um, right. But I, I enjoyed the first two immensely. I'm going to be picking this one up. I don't know if I'll grab it on day one. Ever since Sony's been charging $70 for their new games. Yeah, it does I've been a little bit, like, hesitant to pick anything. And this is prime for a Black Friday deal. Right. You know, it's going to yeah, be $20 gonna be off. It's going to be and stuff, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I can wait a little bit. I feel like there's enough stuff to play in the meantime oh yeah man. you know and I wait mean, for but then when you do go buy it like new games are coming out that you're excited right for. so it's like you, you have this right you know like you gotta buy it and play it right away or you might never play it ever right yeah um so that's definitely um a concern and that's something i think we're gonna have to make a topic of one of these podcasts. oh yeah oh yeah uh, just just the insane amount of releases especially high quality time demanding release right the scope of the game is just you know 400 hours in some cases you know how 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 do you how do you pick what to play what not to play especially when you're an adult with responsibilities and the nintendo direct had like 30 35 titles in it yeah i want to play like 15 of them right what am i supposed to do right exactly And I feel bad, you know, when I ignore, like, an indie game for, like, a a first-party game because it's... But, yeah, it's tough. Um, Anyways, I think we're over the two-hour mark. Oh, yeah, we we went long. people are probably ready to uh, listen to something else or go eat dinner. (laughs) I know I'm ready for dinner. Understandable. Um, So uh, we just want to say thank you for joining us on our first episode. Definitely. Um, We'll be back. I think we can both say we enjoyed this maybe. Yeah, this was awesome. I thought we would. Um, So uh, we'll we'll see you next time. Yep. Have Have a good one. Have a good one.